So they invited me, they, they sent me the details. And when I went there, right, oh, it was, um, it was really one of the life-changing moments. Uh. Mm. Uh, I stepped in there, right, thinking I can, I could show off my uh, knowledge, right? Okay. Because I just won some trading uh, contest. I, I made about uh, 80 to nine, uh, eighty to 100% on uh, this stock called Rossi Pacific. Again, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I knew, but mm. I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought I was uh, pretty good, really. You know? So when I went there with my ego all high up, right? Uh, first person I met was uh, Serjing, whom I think you just interviewed. Yeah. First person I met was Serjing. He was so young at that time. I look at him uh, and I ask him, hey, so what's your uh, best stock? <laughs> you know? I asked that question so I could have a chance to show off. On <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, setting up the humble brag, you know? So I yeah. can say, oh, me, Roxy Pacific, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but Serjing smiled, you know, in a very earnest way. Netflix. So I think it was about six, seven bagger at the time. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, correct. You, you can go that high. Because <laughs> you know when you are, <laughs> when, you are when you're investing in the SGX market, right? Yeah. You, you I, I I didn't see I don't know what's a six bagger, you know. I thought yeah. 30 Cannot phantom, bagger, cannot phantom, right? Six bagger. <laughs> How do you reach so much? You know, then I started talking to Serging and oh my he 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 was just very fascinating. And not only him, the rest of the other investors who were present at the dinner, um, the way they talk about value investing uh, made me see things that I didn't see. And then I suddenly, for the first time in my life, knew that I was the village idiot at the table. <laughs> and when you go to a table and then you're like, God, I'm the stupid <laughs> one here. Everyone is so smart. I hear people talking about uh, the valuation of Kingsman, how they would value Kingsman. I heard people talking about uh, ARA, asset management. And then after that, ah, the, 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 the mentor I was talking, Chin appeared yeah. uh, to come and talk to me. I was like, hey, Chin, what is your best stock? <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, trying to set up my humble brag and he, uh, Netflix, uh? 20, yeah. 20, 20x for me. Uh. Yeah. You can hit so high, 20x. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh. It's crazy. So I realized like, there is this whole other world, yes. which I didn't know. And uh, I remember going home after the dinner, I was in a daze, you know. <laughs> the four years, my investing, right? Yeah. Is, is not investing at all. It, it wasn't investing, it, it was just trading. I thought mm. I knew, but I didn't know. Mm. So Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firo.co slash free. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Viral Channel, the best place for long-term stock investors. And this evening, we are very honoured to have a very special guest all the way down south in an island of Singapore. Uh, I'm very honoured to actually be of acquaintance to him. So just a little bit of background about our guest tonight. He actually read engineering at Nanyang Technological University. Uh, he has a bachelor's degree in material science and engineering. 
and a very unique career path because most of the time if you see the profile is that right out of uni you go to some MNNC or you go to a startup but this one the first the first point of entry was actually a private investor so I'll, we'll dig more uh, as we as we are, uh, ask him later then he became <laughs> I did went to an MNC <laughs> so whole thing got to restart again uh, no, yeah <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, so you, we, I'll 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 ask you about your MNC experience too, uh, okay. as well. Um, then he went on to starting two very interesting uh things that for me, and I'm very curious after reading it. It was uh the first one was uh, actually writing samurai.com. Okay, uh, and he's presently an angel investor, and the best part about him being an angel investor is that he actually invests. Uh, uh, into very uh, nascent startups, he's very uh, he he terms himself very passionate uh, and very obsessive about startup founders that actually have disruptive businesses. And I, I got to know him from an investor group, uh, which we share uh, passionately our investment ideas as well. And uh, Jerry Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you so much for spending time. Pleasure is ours. Yeah, pleasure is ours. So as uh. I pointed out that you started out as a private investor, but apparently you went to an MNC. No. So maybe <laughs> let's start, let's start yeah. from there. Yeah. So I started uh, with the usual route. Um, after I graduated, I went to join an MNC in the oil and gas industry. Mm. Okay. And uh, that's when I started to learn investing. So ah. I think the job they got me was an uh, engineering planner. And uh, because I got rejected from so many jobs, I just uh, took this job because firstly, oil and gas MNC, an engineering planner sounds like a like a legit career path, uh, <laughs> so I accepted the job immediately. Uh, because uh, beggars can't be choosers. Really, I have to <laughs> jump at whatever whoever does to whoever offers me a job. Maybe really. so that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went in, the job was not what I was expecting it to be. I think the engineering planning position would only take place in six months, but uh, within these six months, uh, only six months later. So within the six months, right, they attached me to uh, an administrative role. So I spent okay. a lot of time um, dealing with uh, f- uh, fouling, printing, oh and uh, <laughs> putting things nicely in a folder, which I uh, failed to do very badly. And then I started questioning myself, like, is this what I studied uh, 16 years for? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, to, to be in an administrative role, I thought it would be something more challenging. So one of the... Uh, roles they got me to do was to collate timesheets for the entire uh, engineering department. Uh. Ah. So basically, I, I'm not sure whether you all uh, uh, experienced that before. Yes, I, uh, I, I'm very familiar with that, actually. <laughs> it's such a painful activity. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't feel proud being the person who goes around chasing people like, hey, uh, engineer, please do your timesheet. <laughs> and then the engineer is like, uh, I'm spending so much time working on my project and now I got to spend extra time telling you how much time I work on my project. Yeah. And then the engineers, they joke like, should I put one hour filling timesheet in the timesheet? <laughs> so it was a very uh, embarrassing role for me like, because I got to go around and ask all these experienced engineers to, hey, do your timesheet, submit your timesheet. And uh, the compilation was very manual. I remember mm. it was on Excel files and I got to compile it uh, very manually. Uh, one day when I was struggling with this very tedious uh, routine job, which again seemed very pointless to me, uh, a very kind engineer came up to me and he told me, hey, uh, have you heard of uh, something called uh, macros? I'm like, what's that? <laughs> so he showed me that you can actually record like some uh, uh, repetitive uh, actions. Uh. Mm. 
Mm. And then uh, straight after that, I got hooked. I was like, wow, you mean uh, there's a way I can, you know, uh, make my job much easier? Mm. So I went to the library, uh, borrowed a book called VBA for Dummies. Mm. If I remember it correctly. Yeah, and VBA. I, I think it's yeah. VBA. VBA. Visual Basic for Dummies, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, but I used very, very like simple stuff and I kind of like uh, automated my job. So uh, <laughs> the funny thing is like when I uh, uh, report for work on uh, Monday, Within two hours, I would finish my entire work for the week. So I, I had too much time on my hands and I was just going crazy sitting there, you know, pretending to look busy in my cubicle. <laughs> it was really like a Dubert life at the moment. I was like, how do I, how do I look busy? You know, I just finished my work. It's uh, 10 a.m. This is Monday. It's going to be long and painful. So I thought like, uh, oh, you know, I better get my finances in shape because I just graduated. Mm. So I thought, uh, yeah, maybe learn something useful like uh, investing. I, I've always wanted to learn investing. Mm. And uh, I got intrigued when I saw one of my colleagues staring at the SGX uh, stock market um, charts. Uh. Mm. So I was asking him, what is that? And then he told me it's uh, investing. You can buy companies, make money from stocks. And I said, wow, sounds good. Okay. And at the same time, uh, I remember there was one engineer uh, telling me that during those times, I remembered the, the economy wasn't doing that well. When, 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 when was this? I when think it he... was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, 2010. Okay. So we were just coming out from the recession. Okay. Uh, the job market, not so bad, but um, the, a lot of salaries, they are not, a lot of the engineers, they are not getting um, big bonuses or big salaries uh, compared to the heydays. Uh. So he was telling me like, uh, oh, we are looking for a 2% increase in salary this year. And then I stared at them, I'm like, 2 2%. <laughs> <laughs> So I was calculating my base salary, 2%. It's going take me uh, very long to- Four chicken my, rice, right? Four chicken rice. I don't know, man. <laughs> Maybe, okay, slightly more than four chicken rice. But I was like, oh, it's going to take very long to hit my target salary. And I'm probably not going to be financially free. You know, I need money if I want to start a business and all that. So I think I better take up investing. So I spend the rest of my time um, reading ebooks. Uh, sometimes I would just blatantly read the book in my cubicle because <laughs> uh, I was so jaded, really. I, I, I was hoping they would fire me, you know. They just asked me to leave. I don't care anymore. I, just, I was just reading my book. So that was, it was from there where I got introduced to investing. Mm -hmm. um, but I did not know where to start because I didn't have anybody to guide me. Mm. So I was uh, reading like Trading for Dummies. Mm. Same time I was reading uh, Ben Graham's um, The Intelligent Investor. So I was very confused. Okay. <laughs> on one hand, you got all the charts and patterns. On the other hand, you got Ben Graham telling you, you know, there's this way that you can buy undervalued stocks to make money. And I just got very confused. And after that, I read like Peter Lynch and Philip Fisher. And then I will read more um, articles from uh, traders. So I felt like I was torn between both worlds and I thought I could combine both together. Mm. Because I think there were some articles that combined uh, value investing and trading together. I see. So that was the, uh, that was the early days. And at the start, I didn't know what I was doing. I just, um, uh, when I got my salary, I would just uh, dabble with stocks, thinking that I knew what was going on. So I think the very first stock I bought was, uh, I think it was called China Mingzong, if I wasn't, uh, if I remember it correctly. And I can't even remember the what what the business is now. I think I think maybe you all do a check. It could be, I think some mushroom, China selling some mushroom Song. products. Yeah, remember I the ticker name? I did not know what was going on. And... Yeah. Yeah. MJ, you have any questions? Some mushroom yeah. products or something. It's a uh, fresh, 
fresh vegetables and processed vegetables. That's right. Okay. So yeah. I bought it thinking like, yeah, you know, I'm investing right now, made twenty five percent in about four months, and I thought I was a genius already. <laughs> yeah, by that time, at that time I was still not sophisticated as an investor, and that's how I got hooked at the start. I, I so see. the first uh, bad decision led to uh, a small win, and I started picking up uh, trading and investing. Why was it a bad decision? Just curious. Because like. Uh, because I thought I knew what the, the business was, but mm. actually I knew nuts about the business. Mm. And I, if I remember correctly, I was probably looking at patterns, like breakout patterns and all that. And uh, basically maybe I got lucky, you know, and then I made some money and I thought this was the way it's gonna be. Mm. So I think I spent um, the next few years um, trading, uh, thinking I was investing. Mm. And uh, there were wins, there were losses, but um, the, the, the troubling part about uh, trading I found was, you know, you can have uh, very big wins. Okay. And then after that, you you feel like uh, you you timed the market right, you understood the patterns right. But then suddenly you will have like uh, big losses that humble you down again. Like, uh, how did I go wrong there? I thought the chart said this is going to happen. Or, you know, this candlestick graph is showing some dragon breakout pattern. Why didn't it materialize? I've never heard of that before. Dragon breakout pattern. But there was something, I remember there was something, did cat bounce and dragon. Ah, that one got, that one got, <laughs> got cats, I know. One, right? <laughs> but I didn't know got dragons. Okay. Probably my false memory serving, uh, serving up uh, terms again. But yeah. yeah, I was like trying to, to, to follow all these patterns and staring at charts all the, all the while. And I, I just couldn't get uh, consistent results. La. So you can have big wins and then losses, big wins and losses. Mm. And I think it was only until four to five years later, where I started to realize I'm probably not doing as well as uh, someone who buys and holds the index. Uh. I see. So that was a, that was like a, a wake up call for me. But I again, see. I was still alone at the time. I uh, had no mentors, uh, no friends doing investing. Everyone was uh, trading, trading and uh, uh, speculating as well, thinking that we are investing. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was the way it was supposed to be. La. And uh, the, the, the fact that I read so many different books didn't really help. So I didn't know what was uh, going on. I see. Yeah. What, what, what do you think was the pivoting moment? What was the, the probably one or two factors that actually led you to think, hey, the guy who buys and, and holds index is actually better. Did you, was it because you compared results? Was it because a conversation with a friend or what? I can't remember. There was this book written by uh, this investor. I think it's called William Bernstein. I got to check his name again. But okay. he's the one that uh, promoted the efficient market theory. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So again, again, I was very confused already. So I thought, okay, the markets are efficient. <laughs> I can win. Again, okay. like you, you get, I mean, there's just so many books, you know, as, a, as an avid reader. Yeah. I don't know. It turned out to be my downfall. Understand. Like when I talk to other investors, uh, they get started with, uh, you know, Philip Fisher or Ben Graham. Yeah. And then they are always, you know, belonging to them, that, that, that investing school. For me, I tried to read everything. And for a moment of time, I even believe in the efficient market uh, hypothesis. hypothesis until, uh, you know, I, you, you just look back at the financial crisis and uh, certain events, you realize like, eh, I don't think this is very true, you know. <laughs> I remember when I sold a book away on uh, Carousel, I met the guy at the MRT station. It was, and I saw it was a young guy who was going to buy the book. Oh uh, man. I was telling him, <laughs> I don't believe in this, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I can give you back your money, you know. I, I don't feel good selling this to you. It's like selling, peddling drugs or something. <laughs> I, sell it, 
Suddenly, I like had a conscience. I like should I be giving this book to him? You know, when I don't believe in it anymore. Yeah. And the guy was like saying, "Oh, I'm exploring. I'm trying to find out uh, more." Then I thought, "Oh yeah, he's just like me last time, many years ago." So I just give him the book. And Do you follow up with him and ask him, "Hey, how has it been since?" You know? <laughs> but I told him, "Don't believe a word it says." That's I told him, but he was like, "I'm gonna figure it out myself." And I said, "Good luck." Yeah. MJ, yeah, you had so, a question? So no, 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 no. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I want to thank you so much. It was so entertaining, Jerry. I, okay. I want to go back. I want to take, take a step back. Okay. And I want to uh, dive into your... Uh, no, it's great. I would be definitely going to come back to that. But I'm going to dive back into your your passion into education. Because I noticed on your on your profile, right? Uh, the businesses that you get started with, even the startups uh, or the in angel investing that, uh, uh, that you are getting yourself involved with, a lot of it revolves around education. And okay. even uh, even your your business writing samurai right it was around maybe can you give us can you take us through that journey okay. why that love for education and 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 was was there a mentor and why are you uh, keenly pursuing it actually yeah so <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's uh I wouldn't you know at the start right it wasn't really like uh you know I grew up knowing I wanted to do a business in the education industry it's more like uh when I grew up right I knew I had I knew I probably couldn't fit in into a typical uh, cubicle job. Mm. So I had a feeling like I couldn't fit into society. And the only way I could still do whatever I want and, um, and you know, continue living, uh, surviving, is to really make uh, a lot of money. La. So that, 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 that kind of uh, paranoia of... Uh, the, the, uh, the, I have this slight paranoia like, you know, I won't have enough money and then I forever be stuck in the cubicle, mm. you know, ask, asking engineers for timesheets. <laughs> I always had this fear even before I started working. Okay. So like I was uh, planning and uh, coming up with uh, schemes and business ideas since since I was a child in uh, primary school. Mm. So like uh, if I were to take you back how it got started with writing Samurai, um, it, can, it was a very convoluted journey. So as a, as a kid, right, I love writing a lot. Ah. Uh, I thought I was going to grow up to be an author. Okay. I found out that uh, most authors fail and uh, they don't become very rich. La. <laughs> because at the time I look at Stephen King and uh, my idols like Stephen King, Raw Dow, mm. who else? R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein ah. was a very big influence. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to write horror novels. I'm going to like, you know, just, just write and read and do whatever I love. Yeah. But I, I realized that the reality is a lot of the authors, they, they become starving artists. <laughs> and I got... That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah I, got, I got quite uh, frightened uh, by the prospect. La. But... I had a lot of these uh, uh, little schemes and um, small businesses I started in uh, primary school. I think one of it was, one of it was uh, creating a magazine called Jerry's Mega Magazine. Mm. I will take a bunch of foolscap paper and then I will write my name Jerry's Mega Magazine at the top. And then I will report on uh, very ridiculous news that happened in the school. Okay. So it's like a tabloid. Article, tabloid, yeah. <laughs> but stapled together with a few loose sheets. I was the artist, the writer and the editor. So I drew, because I, I can't take a photo and put it there, right? So I would draw whatever happened. Like uh, uh, this boy scored an own goal today. Uh, this person say he has a crush on this other girl. You know, <laughs> write it down. Uh, wow. So this is like, face, bit like Facebook. Uh, but like, oh yeah, it sounds that. a bit like Facebook. Sounds very gossipy. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, sounds like just sounds like a tabloid article, yeah. like you know, yeah. I write weird things like uh, ghosts spotted in a toilet on the fourth floor, that kind <laughs> of stuff. Someone, a kid saw a shadow, and I write that down. I'll draw comic strips like a regular newspaper, and then I will, 
because I can't get a photocopy machine, I will loan it to my friends for like, I think 10 cents to about $1, depending on how much effort I put in ah. a particular article. So if you want to read that uh, magazine, you have to pay like 50 cents or $1 or maybe 10 cents. I can't remember what's the range. But anymore. only one copy, right? So it goes yeah, So they got to share it around. <laughs> so it was very fun because um, like, you know, we had silent reading periods in primary school where you're supposed oh. to read a proper book. Um, but the kids were reading uh, my magazine and the teacher was asking, <laughs> what are you doing with that? Let me see who wrote that. <laughs> so I, I was getting into trouble for this kind of uh, schemes. La. So that love for writing and that love for uh, business was actually, uh, it actually started then. It actually started then. I um, see. But I was forced to close down the business because uh, one day, my I remember this very clearly, uh, my dad opened my bag to check for homework, like uh, okay. most parents do. And then he found all my stacks of uh, mega, uh, magazine inside and he okay. put it out. He's like, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, Dad, uh, I got a business running, you know, I'm making like, a, you know, five, six dollars per week, you know, that's how my piggy bank is getting fuel up. Yeah. He turned to the first page, right? And I remember the drawing was uh, this guy staring at a girl's butt. Uh. For some reason. <laughs> nice. Excellent. <laughs> for some reason, the boy, because at the time, I think everybody was about 12 years old, I think 12 yeah. years old. Uh, so yeah, it's the perfect age. Uh, perfect. <laughs> he made a harmless comment like, uh, this, girl's, uh, this girl has a very cute butt. So I drew like a very funny picture of a... Uh, of a batok and someone picking at it cheekily, inspired by all those uh, funny comics um, that were circulating at the time uh, during that era. That's the first thing my dad saw. He got so angry. You know, he ordered me to throw away all the magazines and tell me to stop, stop this at once and just focus on my studies. Mm. So I thought, okay, oh, I really messed it up big time. So I hit the magazines and but the operations stopped. Still ran? Uh? No. But we, I went to do other schemes uh, like uh, we wrote game. I, I partnered with a friend and we wrote game books. Wow. And then after that, we, we again, same, same model, we would loan the game books around. So a lot of it was uh, trying to monetize my writing skills. I see. Uh, as a kid. La. I see. So I again, see. Um, didn't really connect the dots when you went, when I went to secondary school and uh, junior college, uh, mostly focusing on studying. And uh, at that age, right, when you try to charge your friends money, like $1, $2 for for something you return, it's, right? lot, it's, not, yeah. it's not cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I write and I let it, let people read my stuff for free. La. I see. So, yeah. so the, the entrepreneur uh, pursuits uh, stopped them, but there was always this itch, like, you know, I can't wait to get out of school, start my own business. I don't know what business, I'm going to start a business. I don't I care see. what it takes. I I really, I'm really going to start a business. I see. So the idea for the online education and the education space uh, came in one day when in university, actually, mm-hmm. uh, when I couldn't attend less the lecture. Okay. Uh, and uh, I had to watch a pre-recorded lecture. Right? So oh, they had pre-recorded yeah. lecture during your they time? Record, they will record the lecture in NTU and uh, I get to I get to watch it at home. Uh. Okay. And at, at, at that time, right, sorry, uh, maybe sound a bit spoiled, uh, but coming from a Singaporean where our land mass is so small, <laughs> but, uh, taking a train from my house at the time all the way to the university, was about one and a half hours. Yeah, because NTU is very far out in yeah. the jungle area, yeah. right? It feels very jungle. Yeah, it's all the way at the end and uh, I was staying quite far. And taking a train, taking a bus there was such a, a time-consuming journey. Somehow it's in the morning and uh, and um, it's very crowded on a public transport. Uh. Sorry, okay. uh, uh, spoiled, spoiled nation problems. <laughs> but yeah, I, but when I, I remember when I was sick, right? I had no choice. I watched the recording and then I like I was like, hey, Actually, I could absorb as I could absorb more than uh, what I normally absorb at the lecture. Mm. Why is that so? 
And then I started reflect, uh, you know, I, I started reflecting like, oh, because when I go to a lecture, I'll be talking to my friends. Mm. You know, or I'll, I'll be, I'll just have a lunch and then I would fall asleep. You know? <laughs> or we will just get distracted. Like someone talks to you and then you just get distracted. Understand. And um, I remember there was one lecture. I took a biz finance module. Okay. And the teacher was explaining some very complicated uh, modeling uh, for, for business. Uh. Okay. And because my friend was trying to uh, flirt with a girl, I had to be his wingman. So I had to make him look good. Okay. So I had to say things like, oh yeah, how's your guitar practice coming along? And he's like, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it came to bite me, you know, like uh, many years later when I started reading about discounted cash flow, uh, uh, reading about discounted cash flow cash as flow. a valuation uh, method. Methodology, yeah. I flashback all the way to that lesson <laughs> where my friend, I was trying to help my friend hit on a girl. <laughs> And he's talking about his guitar skills and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, this is so stupid. Yes, like, but the all-important question is, did your friend get the girl or not? Yeah. <laughs> did, did, he didn't score? We, oh, man. It was, we, we, didn't, we didn't work it out. I wasn't a very good wingman. <laughs> yeah, but I was like thinking like, hey, if, you know, if I could just watch the lesson at home, you know, I don't have to uh, cave into this kind of uh, social pressure to help my friend out, you know. Uh, so I... I, I and uh, somehow it clicked when I was... Uh, I think I was observing a tuition center mm. uh, near my house. It was a neighborhood tuition center where the kids were uh, just streaming in and out. La. And I'm looking at, that, at, at all of them going in and out. I was like wondering, why, why isn't anybody doing this online? It's mm. so much better. The parents don't need to travel. You don't have to queue up. Just, just take it online. Yeah. Just take it online. Yeah. So this, uh, this seed uh, was implanted in my mind and it stuck with me for a very, very long time. I got obsessed with, an, with this idea. For, for some reason, I thought it was, it was the next big thing. Now, the passion for teaching and education didn't come. It was more mm. of a passion for business and to, and to see like a, an idea take root I see. in the real world. And uh -huh. things actually changed. So I was just very obsessed with the idea. Um, so, but when but I graduated, I didn't pursue that idea straight away. Mm. Uh, because firstly, uh, I felt like I, I didn't have enough money. Mm. Uh, finances were tight and I felt like you know I studied so long I might as well put my degree into uh, practice music, right? yeah <laughs> into practice and I might as well take the salary mm. and uh, try to save up try to grow the money and then after that I can start uh, my business uh, this is why I didn't jump into uh, entrepreneurship immediately after I graduated just I'm curious uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead just just curious right like to start a business in your field Mm. Back then and today, la, maybe these two time time okay. phases. How much do you actually need to save up? Let, let's assume you cannot take a loan la, for this business. You have to save like, How much do you actually need to save up? Oh, uh, after we did the math, we realized not a lot. Mm. Yeah, After we huh? did the math, we realized uh, it's not a lot. So that's why this is a very competitive industry. Mm. You know, I wouldn't recommend anyone to uh, start a tuition business uh, because the barriers to entries are very low. Startup cost uh, is very low. I see. Yeah, so I think I started after after working for at the MNC for about six months. Okay. Um, I went to jump to another job. Uh, it was a marine construction job. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I worked there for one year, and then uh, I think the turning point came when I finally dared to take the leap. Was I was working on this project, and we were very very. I, I felt very very overworked. Mm. Uh, we were working six days a week. Uh, even on Saturdays, we work from like 8 a.m. all the way to uh, 6 p.m. Mm. 
So like when I met my girlfriend at that time, now mm. she's my wife. When I met my girlfriend at that time, and when I met my friends, right, uh, they would have to packet, put the food in a packet lunch for me, like a, in a packet box, in a styrofoam box for me, because the restaurant was closing by the time I, I met them. And uh, I would be eating there, you know, uh, in the styrofoam box. And even if like, you know, when we were quite young at the time, like uh, 20 plus, okay. like, we went for drinks after that, I would just fall asleep at the bar. <laughs> and uh, on Sundays, I'll just spend my time sleeping. So my girlfriend would come to my house, and I'll just she just watch me sleep. And uh, it was just so tiring for that uh, project, six days a week. And then the turning point came when uh, my boss. Uh, by the way, my bosses are all very wonderful people. Okay. Um, but he said this to me. I think we need to uh, work alternate Sundays. <laughs> I'm like. But this is not enough. <laughs> Alternate Sundays. Uh, so at first I, but, but that whole company, the amazing thing about the whole company, which I really liked, uh, uh. Uh, was everybody had this very gung-ho culture. Mm. It was a small SME. They had a very gung-ho culture. The directors were very inspiring. My bosses were very awesome people. I learned a lot from them. Mm. And they had this very gung-ho culture. So of course, you know, uh, like everybody competes to see who works more like that. It's mm. a very gung-ho, <laughs> hard-charging, um, very manly culture. So I, I said like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and after that, he walked away. He started to sink in. Huh? Two days of rest a month. I don't think I can take this anymore, you know. Two days of rest a month. Uh, I think it's time to uh, pursue the idea that I want to pursue. I see. Uh, yeah, I but see. during this period again, a lot, during this one year of working, right, uh, after work, my now partner, my now business partner and uh -huh. I, we would meet up after work and we would keep on planning and keep on discussing how to uh, start a tuition center. And we would go from uh, tuition center to tuition center, mm. pretending to be customers because uh, we don't know where to start. We don't know how to price. I see. Uh, we don't know what location to choose. So we would walk into a center and say, like, if we look very young, we're like, yeah, I'm uh, looking for tuition for my nephew. <laughs> how much is it? And then we'll be scribbling down notes. <laughs> and we'll counting the num we'll count the number of sleepers outside. We're like, okay, I think these guys are good. We should learn from them. Mm. Yeah, so that's what we were doing for one year. La. But again, a lot of talk, you know, uh, but not a lot of action. I uh, understand. I understand. I'm sure what, you get what I mean la, when you're trying yeah. to start the impetus. What was the hesitation? Was it because of like what I said earlier, what I asked earlier, was it startup capital? Was was that the fear? And then was that a fear of losing the comfort of your job? And and that was all bottled into just planning, planning, and then not hitting hitting rubber on the road. What was that it? Correct. I think the I think the fear was uh losing uh losing the network or the so-called career, the very short career I, I forged out for myself. Hmm. Uh, but then I think I started to realize like hey I'm I'm young. You know, I still don't have kids. Hmm. You know, I can afford to fear uh fail. Hmm. So if I if I take a leap now and if I fail then at most, I just come back into the working world again. Uh, I was planning to live very lean. I'm not mm. going to spend my money unnecessarily. Um, like, I was penny pinching. Like, mm. when I buy vegetable rice, I would count, like, what I should eat <laughs> in order to <laughs> save just that few cents, you know. And I was doing everything I can. I was trying to learn investing so that my salary can be uh, used to, can, 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 can grow. But I tell you what's the, I tell you what's the biggest uh, difficulty. Mm. Uh, the paycheck, honestly, it's, it's like a drug. Uh. Okay. Getting a steady paycheck, it's very hard to pull yourself away from it. Mm. But uh, mm. the impetus came when they said, uh, I think you need to work alternate Sundays. And then I think one later. week later, I threw the letter, I give the letter to my boss. And I said, I need to quit. I'm going to start a tuition center. And of course, like uh, everybody 
found it quite funny. Uh. I mean, uh. I don't have an education background, um, <laughs> no business background, only engineering background. Mm. Now I'm going to start a tuition center. Like it was, uh, it, it, it seemed like a very foolish uh, move at the time. Uh. What, so what did your parents say? Did they get a culture shock when they when you told them you were doing this? Uh, okay. So um, my mom passed away when I graduated. So I see. Sorry, uh, to hear she that. didn't have a say in this. Okay. But if she were alive, I think she would. Um, probably urged me to be more conservative. My parents are the more conservative short. Mm. Uh, so, uh, my father was like, okay, you're young, you do whatever you need to do. Mm. So he was quite supportive, you know, like most fathers are like, uh, very, very, very chin chai. Like, very chin chai. Yeah, just, just do it, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then and after, you, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, Jerry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, the reason why we wanted to start a physical tuition center is because that we, we were not tech trained, right? We, we don't know coding, we don't know how to build websites. We don't know what is WordPress. Uh, we thought all websites must be built on HTML. Mm. And uh, yeah, so we, we, we thought, hey, uh, why don't we start a tuition center first, understand the industry, and then we take the revenue, and then we channel it to our online education. Pursuit, this will mm. be the end goal. So we will make the money from uh, normal, uh, traditional physical tuition center, but we will use the proceeds to funnel into our online education uh, startup. I see. Um, but again, it was a very stupid plan because once you start the physical center, uh, all your time is just devoted to uh, the operations, the setting up, the marketing, the sales, the content creation. And then somehow I started teaching. Ah. I didn't ah. expect I would be teach? teaching. What, what do you did teach? teach? Oh, I was uh, teaching English because that was my strong suit. Right. And, I, and I like to write also. No so, math? Uh, I mean, I, because your engineering background, no math? Uh, no, actually, I was very bad in math. I forced myself... <laughs> to take engineering because I wanted a more uh, solid degree. Right, right. A real, a real a, degree, yeah. As compared to an arts degree, like, even though I was more artistic. Uh, yeah, okay. I, even though I was more artistically inclined, I love to write essays and um, right. I love literature. Um, history was interesting to me. Um, but I forced myself to take uh, math and the hard sciences like, because I felt it was a it was a more solid degree. Like. Uh, no, no regrets though. No regrets though. All right. What was the yeah, toughest part about actually running the place? Is it teaching the content creation, the marketing? What was the toughest one for you? <laughs> we had no customers. That was the <laughs> toughest. It's so depressing, you know. <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah, I'm off to work and then you go there and you're just swatting house flies. And why under, like, why under, the, why under customers coming? We had no marketing knowledge. You know, we thought like, uh, uh, we were so naive. We, we printed a bunch of brochures and we, you know, dropped them into mailboxes, you know. Uh, my partner went to stick it at the at the void deck and I, I didn't know what was sales as well. Uh-huh. I didn't know how to do sales. So what happened was we took over a tuition center that was failing. I so see. we got it at um yeah, so we took over the lease, right? Because uh, the boss the boss wanted to get out, so we took over the lease. Um it was in a very small, dingy corner of a shop house. So that's why it's uh, which part of uh, Singapore? Um it was in uh, it is in Upper Serangoon. Oh Serangoon, okay. Yeah, as of the time of this recording now, it's still over there, still still very dingy because the building is just very old. Okay. Uh, yeah, then we took over that, that, that tiny little center and um, I think there was only 20 students at that time. Oh. Yeah, so I thought like, um, okay, I'm going to look at all these old customer lists and I'm going to call all of them one by one to tell them that the management has changed. Uh, please come back. But I didn't know how to do sales then. So uh, I would call the customers. 
And then I'm like, hey, hi, Mr. Stan. I uh, just want to let you know that we are the new management of uh, this tuition center now. Uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> that's all. And then I'll put the phone down. And then we did that for like 10 calls. And then my partner was watching me and he's like, uh, Jerry, maybe you should tell them to sign up with us. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That makes sense. But I was so shy, you know. It felt very mm. icky to be a salesperson. Uh, right. Mm. But yeah, so that... That was what we were struggling with, uh, simple things like that. Um, you know, things breaking down. Uh, oh yeah, one thing we struggled with was a lot of the, when we took over the center, a lot of the tutors who were teaching the kids, right, um, were quite steep short in their behavior, as in like they don't show up to work. And My that was gosh. how I, I got into teaching. <laughs> um, the kids showed up and uh, they got a call and the tutor was telling them he's not coming. And then I'm like looking at, I remember there were like only five kids in the class. And they look so sad, you know. I'm like, oh, kids, just come into class. I'll, I'll teach you whatever I can. I'll teach whatever I can teach. Mm. But I still know some of the basic grammar stuff. It's primary school stuff. I'll teach you. So I brought the kids inside uh, the classroom. I taught them. Um, I did tell the staff, um, uh, please, I don't want you to come back anymore because that was really irresponsible. And I, we, mm. we went through your late coming and your disappearance many times. So... From now onwards, I'm going to take over your class because it's too short. It's too short of a notice to find another teacher. So uh, I accidentally uh, started teaching the kids, and uh, actually liked it. And the kids mm. also like um, uh, like my teaching at that time. Okay. And I thought, ah, oh, no choice. Uh, since you know, um, we can't find any teachers on such a short notice. I got to cover the classes um, while I find a while I find a teacher. I see. Um, but the good thing is when we took over the center, there was. One, there were a few older tutors. I think they were about 50 plus. I see. Uh, it was closing, close to 60. And they had uh, quite a bit of experience teaching kids. Uh. So I started learning from them. I went to read up on myself, how to teach, you know. I started, uh, I went back to study all the technical grammar fundamentals, um, how to explain things like, you know, past perfect tense and past tense, when to use the two. Mm. Um, and then I started uh, trying to figure out a way to teach kids how to write uh, because I was very disturbed by how kids were uh, memorizing uh, bombastic vocabulary mm. just to impress people. So the writing looks very fake, uh, if, you, if you know a what I mean. Actually, actually I want to interject at this point. Yeah. This is actually something I realized uh, from like listening and speaking to Singaporeans is that they, they are, they are, their grammar range is a lot, uh, or vocabulary range is a lot higher. But then, like you rightly point out, right, actually is quite, uh, I'm going to use a vocab, it's quite superfluous. Uh. It's yes, not, it's not. It's it's not required. On, it's but, not. Okay. It's not eloquent. Actually, it's not eloquent. To, you know, no, uh, it, it sticks out like yeah. a sore thumb. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so um, that was something that was uh, um, bugging me out. Uh. I I could because I I really love writing. I have a very strong passion for writing and reading, and it when I see kids um using memorized phrases, ah. to, you know, and it's all template. You know, um, it's all <laughs> template style writing. I was uh saying like, hey. There's got to be a better way to teach the kids, right? Why mm. is it called creative writing when it's not creative? Mm. All right, sorry. I felt the zoom rage coming ready. <laughs> no, please, please. Do not, do not tone it down. Do not no, no, it down. Just, just let it going. go. Let it go. So I was very, very frustrated, right? So I decided to uh, create uh, creative writing materials uh, my own way. Uh, mm. Very different from what the industry was teaching. Very different from what um, the kids were being taught in school. And very different from what other tuition centers and other tutors uh, were, were teaching. 
Understand. Sometimes get the kids to write in a more creative and more natural manner. It's not yeah. about the bombastic words to use. It's about how effective um, your vocabulary is. Like mm. if in this uh, situation, if we use a simple word and it fits the context better, we should use the simple word. Mm. You know, in this situation, if let's say we need to use a more rare, more uncommon, more bombastic word, okay, then by all means use that because uh, what matters now is the effectiveness of the word. Not mm. how flowery or how fancy it is. Yeah. So I base the whole uh, creative writing or composition writing curriculum around um, around my ideal of what uh, proper writing should be. La. And I just didn't want kids to spend all their time memorizing uh, big phrases. Mm. So it became a very big uh, frustration for me. Uh. So the parents would come and say, do you teach kids to memorize phrases? I say, no, uh, I teach them to come up with uh, their own phrases. And they say, oh, really? Uh, how? And I say, can, can be done, you know. So I got to show them and slowly educate um, parents and students uh, one by one. Mm. So um, that that started to become my so-called niche uh, mm. in teaching writing because the methods were so vastly different from the industry practices. I see. And then, uh, yeah, took up and started learning technical grammar. Okay. Okay, so now we were earning money and I was trading and investing. So we had some money to uh, start an online uh, platform. So I, I see. We can fast forward a bit because this one took about two years. Okay. And uh, because we couldn't program, we, we got a bunch of uh, web designers to help us uh, with, the, with the design of the website. Okay. And uh, it was very painful because they outsourced the job to India and there ah. was a lot of uh, communication breakdown. I see. It was uh, very tough. So like we would tell the team in Singapore, this is what we want. Uh, but somehow the message gets lost when it gets passed back to the <laughs> coders and the programmers in India. La. So it's like, you know, you play past the telephone. Like, yeah, yeah, Chinese yeah. whispers, right? They call it. Sorry? Chinese, Chinese whispers. whispers. Oh, Someone yeah, said, so terrible. he said, she said, he said, she said. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was terrible. And then um, we spent about, I think, I think the website took about one to about two years to build uh, because there were so many bugs. Uh. Oh my like gosh. Two, how, much, like, how much do you sink in the cost? Wait, wait, sorry. It wasn't two years. One, one year plus, And then that company went bust. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think it's about one year. If I remember correctly, one year, the company went bust. And then we, uh, we found another one, uh, uh, another company to help us with it. Um, but that took another one year. So all our bug fixing for the previous company oh was for naught. So like uh, we will teach and work at the center until like uh, maybe 10 plus or uh, come home, right? And just keep looking out for bugs and keep talking to the uh, web designers. You know, it went oh on gosh. for about uh, one year and then they closed down and then we restarted everything again for another one more year. And this is all prior to like uh, Fiverr, the, the era of Fiverr, oh, the era of WordPress templates. No, the no so I think WordPress was around then. WordPress was around, but... Yeah, WordPress was around. But so you still needed people to code in probably HTML version 3. Or uh, we five. have no idea what was WordPress. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we were so unsavvy in uh, tech. We don't, we don't even know what was WordPress. But, and, but um, looking back at all this, uh, what would you have, what do you think that, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, what would you think you have learned from, 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 from this experience in a way? Would you do the things the same? <laughs> oh, definitely not. Because uh, I think one of the, one of the misconceptions we had is like, uh, you know, as a, as a businessman or a business owner, uh, just uh, raise money and then just pay people to do your stuff. Ah. Um, I realized that uh, that is actually a misconception. Uh. Maybe it works for some businessmen. It didn't work for me. <laughs> as, as the so-called uh, 
boss or the you know the the founder right you must know at least you know you if you are building a website you must at least know um some of the um concepts or some of the fundamentals of a website building you don't have to be an expert mm. but you need to know like out of all the options which one to choose you know or the designer is telling me this you know um you have to understand and i think one of the biggest problems that happened i remember this very strongly was uh, one of the investor friends or the time i joined the kairos groups already uh-huh. so one of my uh, investing mentors he sent me a graph where it showed like a mobile usage spiking up okay desktop um use uh, serving the web on a desktop was uh, like flatlining was, I see. was the curve was evening out and i was looking at the graph and i thought Wow, die lah. Because <laughs> it's not mobile native, right? Yeah, la, die, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a second project, you know, and like, uh, six, I think we, my partner and I, we put in about $60,000. Wow. Online learning platform. <laughs> uh, and it is not going to be mobile friendly. It's going to be desktop, you know. And I was looking at the graph, I'm like, how did I miss this? Uh? Uh, how? Yeah, so another thing I learned is like, uh, um, Sometimes like uh, it, it really pays to know where the trend is heading or where the where the puck is going to so you can skate it there. You, mm. you need to know what's going on in the world. Uh. Mm. And the next thing, sunken cost bias, right? Because mm. we, we spend so much time uh, putting all our money into the website and trying to build this platform. We spend so much time uh, debugging the website. We spend two years pursuing this idea. But when, we, when, the, when the facts uh, are presented to us... Uh, we just didn't believe it. The, the sunken cost bias was so strong. It was like, no, no, nobody will, nobody will serve the net using mobile phones. Like, so, <laughs> the screen's so small. <laughs> Kidding me, is it? Then my partner was also, yeah. <laughs> Desktop is the way to go. Actually, the, the Jerry, that is so, that's so great that you, in a way, you, you had that, uh, what do you call it, realization because it's so related to investing, you know? The yes. sunken cost fallacy, yes. especially when you research so much into into a particular company, you spend so much time and then cannot be lah, you know. Yes. <laughs> so much sacrifice, two years of our lives. Uh, yeah. And uh, the money was uh, quite tight then. I money see. was very tight because we put a lot of money into these operations and the, bis- the, the, the physical tuition business wasn't doing very well because mm. again, our marketing and sales skills were, were terrible. Okay. And I remember there was this very painful... Uh, dinner I had with my girlfriend and then now wife. Mm. We were eating like I think hamburgers and uh, okay. and uh, the bill came. Uh, it was forty dollars <laughs> only. Don't worry. Okay. But she started telling all the costs. Um, it requires to buy a house in Singapore, to renovate the house. Okay. Uh, wedding costs. Okay. You know, and then I'm like, uh, yeah, wedding need to buy. Uh, I thought just need to buy one ring only, right? <laughs> Actually, you still need a proposal. You you need a proposal ring and you need a wedding band. Wow. Like, what is this? And then the cost started adding up in my head, right? And then I realized like for the past, it was almost about three, two to three years already. Uh-huh. And uh, my savings weren't really growing. And I knew that I I have uh, I was going to have difficulty paying for the house mm. or the BTO that we applied for. His yeah. money is going to be very, very tight. Mm. So I remember that was the most painful Mail I ever had. I look at the forty dollars, right? <laughs> I felt so pathetic, you know. I felt like, oh, I, I, now I pay forty dollars. I feel so much pain, you know. What is, you know, this is not the, 
you know, something's got to change. La. Something had to change. And, um, you know, I got really, 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 really very serious in, in the business. La. So I started working uh, much harder than before. And I started learning and I started seeking help um, from people who were uh, more financially accomplished mm. or people who were doing pretty well in their small business mm. uh, at the time. And just trying to learn and absorb as much as I as I could. Mm. I started buying a lot of ebooks. Um, I was driving my father's car at that time and I would play audiobooks and uh, listening listen to audiobooks, uh, investing, business, anything about investing and business, I just kept uh, trying to educate myself in those areas. Uh. I see. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. I'm just curious, uh, uh, I... I Thank, thank you for highlighting to us the, 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 the courage and also the drive that you had. But I was just curious about why, why the choice of stocks and not properties. And, you know, property is a very Asian thing, especially, yeah. I think, in Singapore. Why, why not that? Why, why didn't you go into properties in a way? Okay, so um, actually at that time, I had uh, just like a, a lot of uh, Singaporeans, and uh, probably Malaysians as well. Yeah. Um, I thought property was the way to go because we see a lot of the financially free, wealthy people. They're all property tycoons, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just one problem. La. I got no money to <laughs> buy property. It's so expensive. <laughs> the buy-in is so high. Yeah, yeah. Right? You, you got to drop a few hundred grand to buy one property and there's a lot of restrictions. It's, you, you can't just... Uh, it's not so easy to buy properties in Singapore. There's lots of uh, restrictions. Uh. I see. Uh, the cheapest buy-in for me to invest my money uh, was stocks. Mm. Stocks. I can I can uh, I put in uh, $2,000 on a stock. I can put in $5,000 on a stock. Property, I got to cough up six figures. Mm. I just don't have that. I That's see. why uh, stocks was a very good way to grow wealth on the side while I tried to uh, manage uh, my business la, at that I time. I see. I see. Yeah. MJ, you had any questions? MJ? Yeah, actually going back to your story because you, you just told us the, the trough. You stopped, you stopped explaining to us when you were you know, in a difficult moment, but clearly, you know, what is, what was the turnaround? You know, I'm really interested to know. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the turnaround came was, uh, that, that's a scary thing about uh, starting a small business. Uh. The turnaround, you know, you read the books, you think it's cliche. The turnaround <laughs> really didn't come when you're about to give up. Uh. Mm. That part was uh, quite bad. So, um, the, okay. So the website launch, it was not mobile friendly. <laughs> it had uh, zero revenue for six months. Okay. Just trying to get people to join the site, zero revenue for six months. It was an utter disaster. Mm. Um, so I thought, then after that, for some reason, I discovered WordPress and I'm like, hey, this is so easy, you know? 
why did I spend $60,000 uh, getting designers to build my uh, HTML website and now I can't even make any changes, you know? So I discovered WordPress and I got educated on my, I educated myself on WordPress and uh, I started, uh, we started uh, uh, pivoting to a WordPress site, uh, which we mm. have control. And uh, I remember again, it's still not the 12 yet. Mm. Um, we, my, my, my girlfriend at that time, my, my girlfriend and I at that time, we haven't traveled for quite some time. Uh. So I remember when we go to Japan, I was bringing my laptop along. Uh. Mm. So that part was, uh, uh, I remember that part was really towards the end really, because my dad was seeing me with my laptop. He was driving us to the airport. He saw me in my laptop. He's like, son, why are you bringing your laptop on a holiday with your girlfriend? And I'm like, I need to work on the site. That this time it will work. I told him this time it's going to work. Hmm. And uh, my dad was like, that's quite uh, irresponsible, you know. Hmm. She waited so long to finally have a holiday. She's been studying a part-time degree for so long. And now you're going to bring your work on the holiday. That's, that's uh, quite, that's not very nice. Mm. Oh, yeah. he, said, he said that right in front of both of you. Yeah, right? correct, correct. Wow, and he, okay. did, he did have a point because um, uh, my girlfriend really had to put up with my so-called workaholism. But it was mm. no choice. You, when, you, when you're poor, right, you can't act like you, you got money. La. So mm-hmm. even when we were in Japan, it was a very budget trip. Uh, I would just go back to the room and uh, talk to my partners like, hey, how's the site going on? You know, typing <laughs> stuff, you know, telling them what to work on. And I couldn't really remember much of the trip except uh, when I came back, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's launch the site, man. Thank God you're still married, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was very, yeah, that was, uh, oh, that was just, I'm just very blessed to have, have my wife. La. So um, launch the site failed again. It, it failed again. Ah. I thought, okay, this is the last time really. It failed again. Um, somehow, um, my partner and I, although we were good partners in the physical center, we just didn't have the skills to partner with each other for an online uh, venture. So that's another lesson learned. Mm. Uh, just because you are good partners for a certain business, but when the skills are different, uh, you, the, the partnership is, uh, is, quite, is quite strained, you know? Mm. Because then we, we were quarreling. Actually, I was the quarreling one. Uh. I was mm. the one who was quarreling. And he was the one, uh, you know, taking all my uh, hair dryer treatment and he was being nice about it. Uh. That's, why, that's why he's still my partner now. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's someone else, I think we would have split up long ago already. I see. So we, we said, hey, let's start our own thing. Okay, we, we can't work together on this online venture. We will still continue working together for the physical uh, center business. Mm. But for the online venture, right, hey, we do our own thing. Uh, we can't work together. Mm. So uh, quite sad. That, that time was very sad, really. So mm. I think in January, I told myself like uh, one more time, mm. just one more time, and I just read the lean startup, lah. You know, create a oh, minimum viable product. Yeah. Uh, don't go and be a genius and dump sixty k and two years of your life, and then it, you know you don't have a revenue. Mm. So I did a very, uh, um, I did a very rough, very bad, bad bones uh, website, which is what you see now, the writing mm. samurai mm. Uh, website. Um, and I had very, very few cost content. And I said, okay, I'm just going to launch it to see whether uh, people will join or not. Mm. So I had a free course, you know, I learned some marketing, like, okay, give them a free course first and uh, uh, get them to join this 30 days free trial. And then maybe they will pay me uh, a monthly fee for mm. the course and the, and the right marking services provided. And uh, launch again, the free course, Cricket's Chirp. Not a single person sign up. Mm. I'm like, oh no, I told myself this is the last try really. <laughs> and at that time again, it was, it was very funny. I remember this moment, my dad was uh, sweeping the house, you know, and, and I'm being a, like a jobless bum again, <laughs> clicking on the computer. I'm like, dad, 
can you sign up for this course? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? I work in the office. I know how to use computers. Because I thought the custo- the target customer was about my dad's age. Actually, they uh-huh. were younger. La. I see. <laughs> but my dad was the oldest person I could get around. So he went to my website. And one of the buttons was called Add to Cut. Because I was using a, a WooCommerce software. Ah, uh, WooCommerce, yes. And I don't know how to... I don't have, I didn't have the coding skills to change add to cut to enroll now, you see. Mm, 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 mm. So, but this is a course, all right? So you can see like a, there's a discrepancy. You are signing up for an online course, but the button says add to cut. So my dad was like, clicking, you know, now I'm like, come on, dad, just click add to cut. Mm. Just click it, dad. Mm. His mouse cursor hovered around the button. I'm like, come on, click it. <laughs> then he moved to the side and then he scrolled down and he read all the, uh, course content, I'm like, Dad, just, just sign up. Why, what's taking you so long? Huh. He went all the way up and he clicked on he clicked on my face. So my face blew up, you know, because I'm, hey, I'm I'm the course instructor. My face huh. blew up. He, he was like, whoa. He clicked the close button, the X button on the screen, except huh. he clicked X on the browser and then he's now back on the desktop. And I'm like, Dad, why didn't you just click add to cart? Huh. And I say, why would I be adding it to cart? I'm not, I don't have a cart. I, I don't add to cart. Then I realized, like, uh, hey, the whole language was uh, wrong. totally wrong already. It shouldn't be add to cut. It should be enroll now. So I had to figure out how to change the very silly word into uh, enroll now. Uh, launch again. A few people started joining. I think only uh, like, uh, like maybe five to six uh, uh, students. And then I thought, ah, okay. I can sell my physical center. <laughs> get a full-time job. And then... Uh, I will just do this uh, online education thing on the side. Mm. I think after many years, I will finally pay away, pay off my house <laughs> <laughs> with my investing and long-term uh, uh, patience and mindset. I will I will do it. Okay. And then uh, I remember telling that to my friend, I'm uh, very resigned to my fate. Um, but then suddenly something strange happened. Um, the students who joined the Writing Samurai site, um, they liked the methods a lot. So they started coming to our tuition center. Mm. So we were starting to see an uptick in numbers in the tuition center. Like my partner and I were ready to wind down and get a full-time uh, job ready. So mm. we started to see uh, the numbers going up and the Writing Samurai website, um, it started growing and growing as well. Mm. So the numbers started adding. It wasn't a big rush, but maybe every month, 10 more students, 10 more students, 10 more I students. See. Encouraging numbers la, for sure. Encouraging numbers. La. It, was a, it was a very decent amount of money for me at the time. Mm. Uh, and then uh, I told my partners, I, I, I told my partner, I remember we had a meeting until 12 midnight. We set goals for ourselves, you know. We, we did all the, we did all the motivational uh, fluff, like, you know, all the Tony Robbins, uh, <laughs> Grand Cardone, you know, like, come on, come on, guys. <laughs> Do it, man. Shoot for the stars. No, seriously, we were, I was so desperate. I was listening to all those motivational tapes, uh, audio books at the time, you know, to mm-hmm. get myself psyched up every time I go to work. Uh, and then, um, or we, we set a target, we change our operational processes, we talk, we, we really talk about what's not working and then we made a lot of changes to our marketing and our sales. Mm. Now to sidetrack a bit, the turning point didn't come like that. The, there was a, there, there were more, how do, how do I say? It was like a snowball, it started mm. rolling. Because like when you are reading so much, right? Um, the knowledge doesn't appear, you know? Yeah. Immediately. There's like a time lag for the knowledge. So I was reading about marketing, sales, copywriting, how to do digital marketing, how to run Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, what's a sales funnel called, you know, uh, persuasion methods, you know, uh, 
best practices for writing copy, what's the font size, whether must it be bold or not, mm, uh, email. Serif or non-serif. Uh, yeah, basically, I got sucked into the whole internet marketing world. Uh. Mm. You know, the very, um, uh, it can get a bit scammy looking, you know, yeah. hey, check out my house, you know, this is how I make passive income. <clears throat> I yeah. was uh, learning from a lot of those internet marketing influencers. Who, who are some of the memorable ones for you? I tell you the old school ones. Hmm. Uh, the old school ones I learned was from uh, uh, Gary Halbert. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 he was uh, um, he was a copywriter who 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 made like millions of dollars uh, selling things by mail order, and he wrote I think letters to his son while he was in prison. So hmm. uh, a fellow copywriter recommended that to me, and I read it. Uh, he also recommended me a few other um, copywriting books, which I which I read and a lot of sales book. I think the Typical sales book, which I think all of us are acquainted with, is um, Persu- Persuasion. I think the recommended by Warren Buffett, what's it called? Again? Oh, this uh, Influence. Influence. Yes, Influence. 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 The Carnegie, yes, Carnegie course. Uh, the, the oh, I also read Dale Carnegie. Read yeah, Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Influence. And I started to see like, um, hey, uh, marketing and sales really is a sign, mm. a science. And it started taking off. Lah. So I, I knew that my life was going to change when I remember that year. Um, it was, I think it was June. <coughs> we were uh, running some holiday uh, workshop programs uh, and all the you know, email, automated sequences, the lead generation, all was running on automation already. Mm-hmm. We were seeing the revenue start to go up. <coughs> really. And I remember I was in the uh, Philippines. Uh, my my uh, girlfriend at the time and, and I, we were Die, uh, swimming, you know, snorkeling, looking for whale sharks, and the phone just kept ringing non-stop. La. For some reason, work always follow me when I go on a holiday. <laughs> the phone was ringing non-stop, but I decided not to touch it. Um, when I came back to the lobby, I saw I had so many missed calls because the, when the sales e- emails or when the sales machine started taking off, right, mm. uh, people really did sign up. La. I see. Yeah, so the thing that was missing from our business <clears throat> was a proper lead generation and sales process. I see. Uh, the teaching, the content, the curriculum was all fine and dandy, but uh, you, you, you know, as a as a business in a crowded competitive industry, you need sales la. It's not like you build and then they will come la. Maybe that works for tech businesses, hmm. but for low tech businesses like a uh, tuition industry, the sales sales really play was a lifesaver. Understood. And I remember when I saw the number of signups, I I look at it right, and I knew right, a lot of our financial a lot of my financial worries are going to be solved very soon. Because mm. I remember that was, um, you know, I hate to make it sound like I'm bragging, um, but that was uh, my first uh, five-figure income month. I see. Nice. So I, I saw that and I was like, wow. And I'm, and I'm here, you know, next to the pool with a beer. <laughs> oh God, I've become one of them, you know. <laughs> passive income guys. <laughs> my big shorts. But I'm not very passive, la, the journey, right? Technically, it's not very passive, la, but mm. it was passive in a sense that the sales machine yeah. was running while I could have a holiday. Yeah. After that, when I came back, I need to uh, run the workshops, I need to teach, we need to do all the customer service and follow up and all the operational work. La. So it's not that uh, passive, passive, but the, the concept was... Uh, the, the sales and marketing concepts were there. So that Better was, than a job, lah, that's for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so that was when uh, things started taking off. Uh. Understand. Yeah, that was and, when and, started taking off. Wow, I mean, it's fantastic journey. I mean, NJ, I'm like watching like a Marvel movie kind of yeah, scripting. <laughs> no, it gives us... A bit, a a bit PTSD. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I recall like, oh, 
<laughs> so, so close to quitting. Yeah, yeah great. I mean, um, we, we have somewhat of a similar business in a way, similar business model. And I, 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 I'm very heartened to listen to your journey. I think we were, MJ and I were pretty lucky, a little bit luckier compared to you. So I, I'm now going to pivot into investing. And yep. um, once you had that, you know, in a way, the first, the first pinnacle of your business success, right? Uh, did you see uh, you spending more time pivoting towards your investing and putting that capital that you earn in your, in your, from your business into investing? Uh, that's one. Second thing is that I remember we had an earlier conversation about people forgetting that once you have, a lot of people have this fallacy of getting passive income and it's, it's such a good segue to what you said earlier. But it's actually the real power of earning money actually comes from active income as you've clearly demonstrated from your business story, right? So what advice would, would you give to people who are like in this perception that, oh, I need to build my passive engine so that, you know, I could quickly retire and I quickly solve my financial issues, which you clearly showed, right? My God, active income is the one that really brings in money, even though you have to suffer, you know, in a way, suffer. So what advice would you give them, Jerry? Um, like uh, my advice, like I, I, I think my friends have probably heard this advice so often that they are no longer my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like an old grandfather, like nagging, you know. Um, so the advice I would give is, um, the first investment you need to make is not in stocks, it's not in property, it's actually in yourself. So like if you had listened to the story, again, I, I'm pretty sure there are many roads to Rome, yeah. um, but based on uh, what I know, mm. um, and uh, I was saying this when I was uh, uh, much poorer, mm. just starting out, was invest in knowledge and skills. Mm. You, you, if you want to, you know, you want to make it big, right? You need to have skills, you know. You can't just, you just can't outsource uh, that to anyone else. You need to have your own skills. Uh, maybe if you are an engineer, uh, maybe you can work to getting into a management role, which means you need to have management skills and mm. not just technical skills. If let's say um, you say, oh, I want my earnings, uh, I want my income to be very high. I mm. want a very high income. Like one of the ways to do it, right? Like you, you got to go to sales. You got yeah. to be in a sales role. Let's say if you are working, you need to go to a sales role, you know, because if you are working, you know, in the back end role, um, your your income ceiling is probably going to be uh, capped. Yes. Yeah. So if so, let's so say true. you want to talk about uh, making money, all right, don't we're not talking about passion or solving problems, but when you talk about really trying to dig yourself out of a financial hole, sales, marketing, um, this these are the two skills, right, that will pay pay off big time. Mm. I'm sure I'm sure uh, there's a lot of cases where people invested in their knowledge into like you know machine learning, AI or something very tech savvy. And then after that, they command a very high income. Yeah, but that, that works as well. But mm. I, I can't comment on that because <clears throat> I, I that's not in my circle of competence. Mm. So um, do what works for you. That's my advice. Do what works for you. Really build up the knowledge and the skills and not just rely on uh, your degree, your diploma, or whatever academic qualification you have because it is not enough. Mm. It's definitely not enough. That's that's great. the first step. Great, great, great. Sorry, what's the second part? Uh? Um, the second part was about this passive income and active income because a lot of people think that, or uh, you know, they want to be like you, Jerry, in Philippines, sipping a beer, and then you know, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then but the road sh- there was uh... a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the road there, as you clearly illustrated to us, is actually not that simple, and also um, the the compounding effect of getting that capital 
was actually more uh, from your portfolio, you know, it's a seven-figure portfolio, which you're going to get to soon. But the portfolio capital was really from your business. And what would be the advice that, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, they earn a salary of 3,000 ringgit, some of them, right? And they cut, they, they want to take an investing course or a momentum trading course, which we'll come to also. Uh, and they want to get into that $1 million segment really, really fast, right? And here they have this notion of, oh, I want to get my $1 million, but also not having to have so much time spent on that active pursuit of it. So what was you know what would be your counter to that in a way? I think uh you got to get very 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 lucky. Uh. Um, but if uh uh you know you got to get very lucky to 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 hit the the one million uh so quickly uh. But again, I think recently we we do hear lots of uh, Bitcoin millionaires uh, popping up uh. <laughs> yeah. But um um you know if, if let's say such opportunities weren't available, there was no mm. Bitcoin then you know. The only way to build up your capital fast, right, is really put yourself in an industry um, where the tide is rising. Mm, good so advice. That was, uh, I think that was another um, um, learning I had. So you may be asking, huh? Tuition center, tide rising. <laughs> the rising tide wasn't the tuition center. In fact, it is, it is quite sunset. Mm. Right? I'll probably get disrupted in about five years. Mm. The rising tide during that year was Facebook ads. Mm. Facebook ads were so cheap at the time. I see. So there were a lot of people making millions from dropshipping. I see. All right, there were lots of case studies, there were lots of internet marketeers making five, six figures monthly just from uh, uh, arbitraging the Facebook ads. I see. And so that was the rising tide that lifted us, I that see. saved us. When the Facebook um, ad targeting algorithm right started working, during that year, it was a rising tide. So, yeah. So, if you want to, my 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 advice, uh, if my my two cents, I wouldn't say advice. Yeah. Is if you want to make uh, money fast, I wouldn't say it's an impossible. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an impossible dream. Like uh, I I I do debate this with um, some of the value investors yeah. who are more conservative with a long term mindset. Mm. You know, in a short, you want short term uh, fast money. Find a rising tide. Mm. Find a rising tide. Learn all you can. Have the skills. Have the knowledge, and just leverage a rising tide and ride it out. You can probably make quite a large sum of money. Um, but it is not passive. It is, it not is passive. very very <laughs> active. <laughs> it's very active. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, none of the successful um, um, friends I know uh, did it. Um, Passively. Their link, yeah. But um, the passive parts comes. The passive part comes in. When your portfolio is large enough, yes. that maybe a compounding of uh, seven to eight percent is enough to cover your um, your your financial needs, mm. So that's when the passive part comes in. But uh, to to get to there, right? If you know you don't come from a, a wealthy background, mm. to get to there, right? A lot of hard work need to be put in. Another advice I would strongly strongly uh, give to a lot of uh, young people, and again, lost a lot of friends as a result. Yeah. is uh, seriously just delay gratification. Try to mm. delay your gratification. Try to save and uh, really, really stop yourself from uh, buying things that you don't need. Yeah, hold on. Why do you say, I'm just very curious, right? why do you say you lost a, perf- lost a lot of friends as a result? I think that's a very interesting thing you said. Uh, firstly, because uh, it can come like, it can come like, you know, uh, I'm giving advice from a, uh, from a 
moral high horse, uh, you know, uh, you save your money, you know, um, be zen, you know, don't spend so much. Um, but the thing is, like, we as humans, we we really do like to spend our money. Now, when I say things like that, right, I contradict myself. Mm. You know, there was one time I did walk into a Rolex watch shop. Say, <laughs> I want to buy a Rolex. And then they say, sorry, no stock. i like, okay. And then I walked out. i like, what, what happened to me, man? What was I doing? Mm. Like, even... Even knowing that, you know, uh, this is just a delusion. This is, I'm just trying to signal. I'm just trying to show off to people how successful I am. Mm. But yet, I still walk into the shop and I asked uh, for Rolex. Uh, so, so sometimes when I give advice like that, it can come across as uh, very annoying. Or uh, condescending. Maybe. Uh, condescending uh, to people. But uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase it uh, <laughs> uh, properly. Uh, in, in, a, in a less condescending tone. Because... Um, yeah, but but the, the, the truth is, if let's say you want to, okay, in a less condescending tone, I would say, like, if you really want to uh, make, have a seven-figure, eight-figure, maybe even go to a nine-figure portfolio, you can either get there by starting a tech startup and selling your business for maybe 50 million to 100 million dollars. Mm. Now, most of us um, may not have such skills. Uh. So if let's say um, you're like me, average intelligence, um, not, not a very big network, mm. um, not, too, not too savvy with uh, tech staff or business. All right, the only way to get there is to live very frugally and let the money compound, compound, compound and compound. Because the moment you take, you take out, you know, a few hundred K to buy that Mercedes, you take out, you know, a few more hundred K to buy that condominium, the, the compounding just stops. La. So that's, that's, the, that's the truth. La, on, why, advice, um, on why, you know, you want to be why you want to be you? You should be frugal if you if you want to have a larger uh, portfolio, la. and also like um, the hedonistic treadmill is a it's a very scary thing. Mm. You know, there's so many things you can spend your money on, so you can be uh, making maybe uh, twenty grand, thirty grand a month, and yet still just blow it all away very very quickly. Understand? I think there's too many case studies of uh, rich celebrities going bankrupt. Oh like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. It is a real issue. Lah, so. I understand. Yeah. yeah I just so, want to check in with MJ whether he has questions. No, I think that was uh, that was perfect. I think now we need to ask him about some some of his thoughts on certain investments. Right? Oh, yeah, investments. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The juicy bit, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so Jerry, you know, um, maybe some context first as well. Um, mm-hmm. You were sharing with me that uh, you're not a person who will go into very, very deep... Uh, discounted cash flow modeling you wouldn't go nuts on an excel spreadsheet right uh in uh, before you invest into a business so maybe can you share with us uh what are your investing styles you know what are your investing styles and then we can start talking about a little bit about what are you looking at currently okay so uh i think like uh, when i left off and talk about my business i was talking about trading and i was being very confused about yes, uh, yes. ben graham right yeah um so uh, things started to change when uh, I read uh, Philip Fisher and uh, Peter Lynch. Uh. Mm. Somehow, there are these two books right, resonated with me more. Okay. And um, I started to um, lose myself from the previous learning that, you know, stocks are patterns that you can trade with. And I started to see stocks as businesses. And it also fits my personality because, you know, I, I love entrepreneurship. I love businesses. Mm. And... Uh, the fact that I can hold so many pieces of so many of so many businesses, be part of so many businesses, and be part, technically partners with uh, all these great founders, right? It appeals to me very strongly. But again, mm-hmm. 
the, um, the short-term trading mindset and a lot of the wrong misconceptions I had was still in my head. So it actually happened when uh, the, the, the breakthrough came when I won a trading competition. Mm. <laughs> I think I bought Valuetronics and then it shot up and then I'm like, yeah, I'm a genius. I use it as my profile pic on Facebook for that time. And then I went to network with one of the Motley Fool Singapore writers whom I looked up to a lot and I felt I had some kind of a BFF connection with. <laughs> he's, was, he's it, my good. was it surging? Was it surging? Or? Oh, it wasn't surging yet. Surging uh. looked too young. <laughs> okay. I'm noticing surging. Like, ah, this guy's good, but he looks too young. Um, but um, uh, it was uh, Chin Hui Leong from the Smart Investor. I see. He's running the Smart Investor website right now. I see, I see. So, uh, he was writing a lot of things that resonated with me. He was saying things like, uh, hey, you know, you should read uh, From Good to Great by Jim Collins. Ah, Jim Collins, yes. That book can give you business insights. And I'm like, yes, I was just thinking of that when I was reading the book. Mm. No, instead of reading an investment, investment book. Correct, correct. Read correct. a business book, you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Since you're investing in business. So I started um, stalking, Facebook stalking uh, uh, Mr. Chin. Ah. And uh, I added him as a friend. And, uh, you know, I thought, haha, with my, you know, trading profile pic, okay. he's going to be impressed <laughs> by my, to, to have to be my acquaintance. Uh. So I, I messaged him. Uh, no, he messaged me first. He said, um, he said, uh, what do you want? Because <laughs> 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 he's like, who is this guy? Just added me out of nowhere, yeah, you know? Yeah. I don't have uh, this kind of fanboy. So I said, um, hey, uh, I've been investing on my own for about four years. Uh, I... I wish, you know, someone could pull me into a network or an investing network. Uh, do you have one I can join? So I just asked him that. And uh, I think if I remember correctly, Chin's side of the story, he was uh, having lunch with Serging. Okay. And a few of the other uh, Kairos investors, this okay. uh, investing mastermind. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, this guy just uh, messaged me. Should I call him for dinner this Friday? <laughs> uh, it was, I think, a Christmas dinner at okay. a German restaurant. And then uh, he was like, yeah, um, let's call him over. So they invited me, they, they sent me the details. And when I went there, right? Oh, it was um, it was really one of the life-changing moments. Uh. Mm. Uh, I stepped in there, right? Thinking I can, I could show off my uh, knowledge, right? Okay. Because I just won some trading uh, contest. I I made about uh, 80 to 90, uh, 80 to 100% on uh, this stock called Rossi Pacific. Again, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I knew, but I didn't mm. know what I was doing. So I thought I was uh, pretty good already, you know? So when I went there, with my ego all high up, right? Uh, first person I met was uh, Serging, whom I think you just interviewed. Yeah. First person I met was Serging. He was so young at the time. I look at him uh, and I asked him, hey, so what's your uh, best stock? <laughs> you know, I asked that question so I could have a chance to show off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, setting up the humble break, you know? So I yeah. can say, oh, me, Roxy Pacific, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but Serging smiled, you know, in a very earnest way. Netflix. So I think it was about six, seven bagger at the time. Yeah, 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 correct. You, you can go that high because <laughs> you know when you are, <laughs> when, you are when you're investing in the SGX market, right? Yeah. You, you I, I didn't see, I don't know what's a six bagger, you know, I thought yeah. 30 Cannot phantom, cannot phantom, right? Six bagger. <laughs> How do you reach so much, you know, then I started talking to Serging and oh my, he, he, he was just very fascinating and not only him, the rest of the other investors who were present at the dinner, um, the way they talk about value investing, uh, made me see things that I didn't see. And then I suddenly, for the first time in my life, knew that I was the village idiot at the table. <laughs> and when you go to a table and then you're like, God, I'm the stupid <laughs> one here. Everyone is so smart. I hear people talking about 
the valuation of Kingsman, how they would value Kingsman. I heard people talking about uh, ARA asset management, and then after that, ah, uh, the, the 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 mentor I was talking, Chin appeared yeah. uh, to come and talk to me. I was like, "Hey, Chin, what is your best stock?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, trying to set up my humble brag, and he, uh, Netflix, uh, 20, yeah. 20, 20 x for me, nah. You can hit so high, 20x. <laughs> crazy, man. It's crazy. So I realized like, there is this whole other world. Yes. Which I didn't know. And uh, I remember going home after the dinner, I was in a daze, you know. <laughs> the four years, my investing, right? Yeah. Is, is not investing at all. It, it wasn't investing. It, it was just trading. I thought mm. I knew, but I didn't know. Mm. So that was a big turning point, the uh, investing. Uh, so yeah. the, after that, I started learning from them. Hey, nice. I want to get started on US stocks, you know. Yeah. I, I don't see like 20 beggars in Singapore's uh, yeah. market. Um, how do I get started? And uh, the, the whole gang, they were nice. They're like, hey, you can try the Modifu US subscription. Mm. Uh, and I said, okay, okay. I'm going to sign up for that. Uh, started reading and started um, getting more into it. And all the... Everything I read from Phil Fisher and Peter Lynch started to make more sense. Correct. And I started forgetting about the graphs mm. and I stopped thinking of uh, entry and exit points anymore. Mm. And I stopped seeing all that. La. But uh, deep down inside of me, I I was still torn between um, uh, what you call growth investing and uh, the deep value investing. Okay. <laughs> the one still was a disconnect, right? So the trading is gone, but now you got, oh, these stocks are growing so fast, but valuation is so high. Yeah. But there's some valuation so cheap, but the revenue like not moving, you know, like which method works, you know? Mm. So that was another, uh, maybe another five years of uh, figuring out uh, what works best for my style. I see. Um, but long story cut short, um, now I would summarize my style as um, buy very, very high quality companies mm. at fair valuations. Mm. Um, if they are very expensive, you can still buy them, just you know, make it a smaller part of your portfolio allocation. Mm. And uh, if, let's say it's a high quality company, valuation is cheap, then you can probably uh, buy more. La, but uh, we kind of have the best of both worlds. It's always, uh, yeah. it seems to be like, they always seem expensive. Yeah. Until in hindsight, you look back, oh, it's Amazon was cheap. a price, price to cash flow of nine, five years ago. But yeah. truth to be told, when, when, we, when any of us bought Amazon, we were like, we don't know what's going to work out, but... Uh, the valuation is quite high, but uh, you know the business quality is so good. You know, yeah. you just can't have the best. You of know, money. you know how much I bought Amazon for, on it, Jerry? How much? Thousand. I still remember exactly the price because I queued for three months. One five eight zero. Okay, one and five eight zero. Yeah, one thousand nice. five one thousand five hundred eighty ringgit. Uh, eighty dollars actually. Okay, okay. And at that point, I was like thinking, my God, this is expensive. This is the most expensive stock I've ever bought. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. right. But then you know, if if you look at back in hindsight, right. Uh, I also had the same uh, realization as you about quality of businesses. And, and, and it's something that a lot of uh, valuation, quantitative valuation metrics will actually miss. Uh. And that's where that, uh, the, the elevation of you as an investor. Uh, you know? yeah. MJ, any questions? For- no, I think uh, I, I've just been looking forward to what's, what, what, some, what are some of these high quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Saying, you know? Exactly. Uh, so, Jerry, what, what are the... I know you're, you're a fan of SaaS. Uh, that's one. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe sure. what, what, what are the what are the sectors? Or maybe you can start with SaaS and then maybe you can share with us what are the sectors that you, you know, or business qualities that you look for. 
Oh, yeah. So, um, like, I think for a period of time, I was torn between like a uh, value or dividend stocks. But now I'm more or less uh, settled around uh, businesses that are the so-called top dogs, uh, to use the motley food term, mm. top dogs in their industry. Uh. Okay. So it'd be very interesting if I could, um, you know, you can find a top dog business and maybe they're just competing against incumbents. Uh, if, mm, mm. If, you know, if, if the incumbents are very slow, that's, a, that's an added advantage. Okay. Uh, look for those that uh, can just keep growing revenue year after year after year after year, free cash flow year after year, high net margins, if possible. Mm. Impossible. Of course, there are some exceptions. So some of the high quality ones I really like is uh, actually Amazon. Mm. Uh, I've been actually I've been I, if I remember correctly I've been buying it since uh, eight hundred dollars. Wow! I just keep um, topping um, up. Uh. Just keep topping it up uh, as it yeah. as it as it go up. And every time I buy it, I still feel like hey, a bit expensive. This is not <laughs> Ben Graham. But looking back now, I I'm glad I I made the decision. Uh, but mm. that's a lot of hindsight. Uh. I mm. can tell you honestly, when I was buying, I felt. It was quite expensive. I, I was quite worried about the uh, valuation, but it did uh, work out quite well. Mm. Another one which I'm very, very um, have a very high conviction for is uh, Shopify. Okay. Uh, because the the way Shopify is uh grow doing its business right, it's a completely different beast. You know, mm. like when I I remember when I look at uh, Shopify like, uh, three years back. Uh, was it three years back? About 2017, 2018. Okay. And the valuations were insanely high, I think, at the time. It was about a uh, price to sales of 20. Uh. At the time, we were like, <laughs> PS20 and then uh, no, no profit. Not even PE. Right? You're talking about PS. No, no PE, right? Right? Yeah. What is this, you know? Then I, but for some reason, um, because, you know, when you're in the internet marketing space, you realize that Shopify is the best solution. Mm. The next uh, biggest, the next best solution would be like a WooCommerce or WooCommerce, Magento. Yeah. But if you use all those platforms, right, you realize they are lagging very far behind. Mm. So I had this kind of uh, deep, uh, ins- not say deep insight, like it's a bit of this uh, insight uh, knowledge in the industry that, you know, I think the analysts are, are not seeing Shopify for what it is, you know? Yeah. So let's say I, I did remember I was tell- talking to my friends like, hey, if you want to compare Shop- Shopify, don't compare it to WooCommerce or Magento because they are really quite far behind. Maybe you can compare it to WordPress, mm. you know, because it's free. So it may be a competitor. Mm. You know, because it's a platform. But within the three years, right, they came up with so many new services and they grew so much that they don't even, they can't even be compared to WordPress anymore. Mm. Now people are comparing Shopify with Amazon. They're saying Mm. Amazon is now their competitor. Mm. In just three years, this company totally changed. Now they are even doing, uh, uh, they're trying to handle the logistics on their own as well. Oh, fulfillment. Uh, Wow. Shopify, I think Shopify pay also. They have a. They added a like a like a fintech uh, module to their, uh, to their to their business arm, um, and it really took off. Uh, I think Shopify Capital, and now they are talking about high trust commerce. Mm. So where they can create an app called the Shop app to so you can engage with the brands directly instead of uh, you know being a slave to the marketplace la. I see. Now, I apologize if I can't explain this uh as a uh, detailed. No, no worries. Me too, but my, no worries. My, my understanding is very rudimentary when it comes to um, when it comes to these stocks. But Shopify high is definitely a high quality company I'm looking at. Yeah. Uh, another one I really like is uh, Illumina. Okay. What do they do? Um, I, they I never do, I heard uh, of it, but I do, I've never read about it. Uh, gene, se- uh, gene sequencing. Ah. So there is a long read gene sequencing. There's a short read. Uh, long read you got uh, PacBio and uh, Oxford Nanopore. But I 
they're on my watch list, but I wouldn't dare to touch them yet because I find that the valuation and the financials don't don't really match. Uh. I see. Um, but I, I see. know. Uh, but I think Arc Invest they are they are betting on the long reach sequencing being the future. I see. Um, for me, I look at Illumina and I find like uh, they are the they are almost monopolistic in the industry already. I see. So they I are, see. if I remember the figures correctly, maybe they corner about eighty to seventy percent of the uh, gene sequencing market. Mm. And um, I with with the cost of sequencing right getting lower and lower, you know, that that the market might just expand. Yeah. The cost I'm, I'm of just... gene sequencing might just expand. And the crazy thing is, um, there's still a lot of uh, discoveries. There's still a lot more um, businesses. There's still a lot more problems problems mm. that can be solved once the price of gene sequencing reaches um, to a very, very affordable top. Oh. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just looking at the numbers for Illumina. I think uh, 1.4 billion in sales to 3.4 in nine years. Okay. Uh, net earnings from uh, 151 to 630. So that's actually roughly about four times uh, net earnings grew. I, I don't know like, what's... Uh, the recent years, they didn't do so well, but uh, yeah. the future looks bright. Now yeah. that uh, the cost of gene sequencing is getting lower and lower and lower. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm very bullish about. Another stock I like a lot is also Fiverr. Oh, Fiverr, yeah. Yeah, Fiverr because um, um, the, the team, okay, so like when I said, when I talk about, you know, making money, um, you want to ride a rising tide, right? Mm, mm. So I try to kind of uh, apply that to investing by looking at certain sectors where the tide will give, you know, the strong management team and business model a boost. Mm. La. So the rising tide I see here is the digitalization of... Uh, freelancing mm. so instead of um and the democratize democratization of freelancing as well like i remember in the past when i tried to get someone to design a logo in uh in singapore mm. the design company tried to charge me uh three thousand dollars and then when the logo came it looked like uh two wispy lines uh. <laughs> uh, when the people saw the logo they said you pay 3k to some guy who uh designed two tau gay for you uh. <laughs> so, uh, but so when fiverr came out it was a uh, it yeah. was a very big game changer. Yes. You could get logos done for five dollars. You know, we don't have to. You know, it, it just democratizes um, the opportunities for a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses. Uh. Mm. So Fiverr is another one I I like. Uh. They're executing very uh, strongly. I don't think their competitor Upwork can even match their user experience uh, for now. So Fiverr is another one I like. I see. Uh, but there's so many. There's so many pay payment companies. space. You know, I mean, I I'm a big fan of Stripe. Too bad they're not listed. Uh you know, the integration of their payment system and, you know, I was sharing with MJ, you know, how they detect fraud detection and then they'll bar the cards. I'm like, you are kidding me. This kind of service exists. <laughs> um, have you tried uh, Stripe's customer service? I, I've tried it. It's it's like uh, your mother talking to you. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed, you know. I, I, I was just blown away. I, I Seriously, I, 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 was telling, I was telling MJ, you know, because... You know the experience you said building that website and all that and we actually host on a cloud-based uh, LMS system and I'm like, my goodness, I set up this whole thing. I, it took me a lot of learning. I banged a lot of walls, okay? But I, it, it, I, I knew that if I had to build this five years ago using WordPress, I would have to get help. But now I did it all on my own, okay? But what was interesting was that because in the previous company that I worked in, the payment integration, especially online, was so tough. Oh. Yeah, I had, I had the strike thing. Like I've so been easy. running. It's yeah. like, like yeah. that. I'm like, where yeah. have you been all my life? You know, 
So when it came to payments, I think my biggest mistake was not buying more of PayPal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. some reason, I thought Stripe was going to overtake them. Yeah. When PayPal uh, came out, I was like, oh, you guys have not seen this other competitor called Stripe. <laughs> I remember yeah, yeah. Stripe just was still very nascent at the time. Nobody, correct, Very correct. few people in Asia heard about Stripe. I said, they are going to disrupt PayPal. Yeah, yeah. No, the market is big enough for both of them. <laughs> yes, exactly. So exactly. I uh, realized my mistake and, and I made PayPal uh, one of my core holdings uh, portfolio as well. uh, holdings. Okay, great, great. Yeah. So, so I, we I thought... I FinTech. Yeah, I, 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 I'm in very much alignment with you. I, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Patrick and John Colson. You know, I, I listen to a lot of them. These guys, these guys are, you know, sev- Scottish. You know, you never expected someone to, you know, from, from there. Mo- mostly in the Silicon Valley. Of course, they are now based there. But their thought process, the, the way they think it's about insane. my is insane. It's yeah. seriously insane. You know? Yeah, they're too, they're too high level. Yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. Uh, but I would say like uh, Tobias uh, Luke from Shopify. He's ah, yeah, that, that, that is... the caliber as well. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's exactly. Which, which is why I'm so uh, bullish on Shopify as well. Okay. Yeah. So FinTech, SaaS, any other, uh, other, other industries that you look at that is part of your holdings actually that is interesting to share? Uh, e-commerce. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, I think like we, we, we thought like e-commerce is, is, is you know, it's an it's an it's old news, but it, it seems like we are just getting started. Mm. Uh, especially like okay, so in my um, portfolio, I do have a C. Um, not a very big allocation though, because um, uh, I tend to be you know if it's burning cash very aggressively, I would I would want to tread you know more safely. So it's I a see. it's a smaller uh, allocation for me, but definitely watching them. Definitely watching them. Mm. Um, at C. Okay. I really like what Etsy is doing, uh, okay. building up a bigger uh, uh, allocation in it. And of course, still, still Amazon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> AWS is just, just a winner. Yeah. So I'm looking at some of the e-commerce players as well. I see. Uh, Mercado Libre as well. I got Mercado, a Libre. Uh, Mercado okay. Libre. Again, not a very big position because again, the cash burn um, can be a bit uh, scary. Because mm. I think when you want to invest, right, you want to have a Good night's sleep. So I try I to divide my portfolio into defen- defensive, mm-hmm. medium, and aggressive. Yeah. And make sure that um, my aggressive allocations don't overstep, um, isn't more than the, the defensive allocations. Okay, great. I, I want to dig further into that. In, in terms of geographical mm-hmm. uh, segmentation, if I would put it this way, it sounds uh, very much uh, tech-driven, fintech, which is very US predominantly based. Uh, you have anything uh, in Asia uh, or in, even in Singapore or in China that, you know? The C count, I don't know. Excluding yeah, C. C, la. Excluding C <laughs> yeah. Oh, JD as well. Oh, JD? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do have a big position in JD as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember when I when I started buying it, right? Um, Richard Liu got uh, accused of um, the, the rape. Oh, yeah, the rape case, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very painful to watch the stock drop. Okay. And there was actually there, we, we were actually worrying whether he will go to jail or not. Because mm. if, he, if he does go to jail and if he did commit a, the crime, um, yeah, the shareholders are all going to pay for it. Yeah, key man risk. That, that was really a key man risk. Uh, of course, if he committed a crime, he deserved to go to jail uh, for yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, that was a very uh, harrowing moment. I, but I, I'm still holding on to JD. Uh, it's done so much uh, better now. Yeah. What others? Singapore, oh, I mean, now now from moving, because you've changed your mindset, right? I'm mm. pretty sure when you started off, it was very Singapore-driven and then now US-driven. Would you say that it is like 
60-70% of your portfolio that is US-based? I think right now I've only got about, if I remember correctly, I think I only got about two Singapore stocks. Ah! <laughs> IFAS and DBS. Oh, IFAS. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure DBS falls into the defensive category, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a very defensive uh, uh, category. And uh, it was a valuation play. La. Ah, okay. <laughs> price is price to book, I'm guessing. Price yeah, to correct. Book. It, was a, it was at a very cheap valuation when I bought it. So I kind of broke my rule that I buy <laughs> super, 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 super high quality businesses at a fair price. La. So old habits die hard. Like, ah, so cheap, you know. I understand. Yeah, but it's yeah. not a big uh, posh, uh, proportion. Okay. IFAST was um, when we I was looking at it, it was about $1.30 and mm. $1. Wow. And um, uh, again, at the time, I was still confused between um, val- cheap valuation and uh, good quality business. Uh. So mm-hmm. at the time, my thesis for IFAST was, uh, I tell you the thesis you'll probably love. Yeah. Uh, fair valuation seems like a good dividend play. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, the dividends were increasing and mm. I thought, oh, they can pay the dividends. This could be a good dividend uh, play and then the, I think the P ratio at the time was about 30 mm. um, but if you minus away the the losses in China the P should be about 24 to 26 within the range so I, I thought see. hey for a subscription business yeah. uh, for a P of 30 I think uh, it's, it's pretty reasonable. reasonable I wouldn't say it's dirt cheap but it's reasonable it's mm. reasonable so I bought it and uh, yeah it's one of the biggest uh, uh, allocations right now yeah because it went up like since if you bought it at 180 you it's probably up like five times right now. So I thought it's $8, $8, $8 now, right? It's eight yeah. something. Well, what yeah. explained the rise, uh, actually? Oh, I'm yeah. So, um, <laughs> I wish I could explain in a more technical detail, but their revenues and uh, their, their profits were just uh, expanding. They're just doing very well. And I think they are coming up with more initiatives soon. Yeah. You, they, you just, know, they just, they just got just their broking license, right? For Malaysia. Sorry? They got their broking license for Malaysia. Oh, so they, you, they have a lot of things going on. I, yeah, I, yeah. Say, I keep track, but I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I the only, only when my stock do badly, I will come and take a look like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know, when they're doing well, I'll just uh, skim through the news and just let it be. understand. You know? Hey, so it's good. That, that's a good point that I want to segue into. Um, you reach a point where your portfolio in a way is sizable, seven figures, right? Um, how many hours, uh, roughly how many hours in a week do you actually spend to uh, either generate new ideas or to follow up on a stock? And I, I direct this question in a sense because a lot of people give us these excuses. Oh, they're busy with their career. They're busy with their business. They don't have time to screen stocks and all this kind. What would be a routine or a weekly habit that you have to, to manage your farm of portfolio of stocks? Nothing much, really. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer you. Oh, now I got to act busy like uh, when I was working in a cubicle again. You know? Um, you know, actually, I can do much less. Um, but the only reason I read stocks, read about stocks, uh, maybe once a week, mm. um, is because I have interest in it. But mm. honestly speaking, there really isn't much to do. Maybe perhaps when the earnings come, then mm. I will just uh, read up on some of the stock earnings and pay attention to the more, uh, more aggressive bets. Like you know, I'll probably be interested in looking at C's numbers, mm. push pays numbers. You know. But Mastercard, Facebook, uh, Facebook or Amazon, I probably close, you know close just, eye on it. <laughs> just take a quick glance or PayPal. I just take a quick glance, yeah. and uh, you don't really have to do much. Uh. So yeah. it's more of just sitting on your butt and just letting it compound. 
Um, yeah, but when I want to, but when it comes to allocating money, maybe uh, every month I will fix aside a, a certain amount of income and okay. I will choose uh, stocks that I'm probably underweighted in. Okay. Uh, and I want more exposure too. So if let's say, oh, my portfolio is getting a bit very, you know, a bit too defensive, I can afford to get more aggressive stocks. So I can allocate to the current existing stocks I have now okay. or maybe try to uh, search for ideas. I see. So how I search for ideas, um, um, the Motley Fool subscription, I'm still subscribed to it. Okay. Um, I'm also subscribed to the Smart Investors, um, um, Chin's, uh, Chin's website. So Doctor, I've been investing Kuo, a lot right? of time. Sorry? Dr. Kuo as well, right? Dr. David Kuo. Oh yeah, definitely. The yeah. ex uh, Motley Fool SG team. Because yeah. I've been investing alongside with them for uh, five years. Okay. So I, I'm very comfortable with um, uh, the stock zipping and also... You know, after after I read their reports, I will do my own research and my own thinking as well. Mm. But uh, that has uh, greatly reduced the the amount of research I have to yeah. come up with, lah. Um, yeah. So, but 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 that's because I I've been investing with them for five years. That's why I have this level of confidence. I, I, I did invest in a Surging's Compounder Fund as well. Mm. Uh, because after looking at his uh, investment performance, his thoughts, his the way he picks his stocks, I also just. Uh, set aside some money to invest in him when he uh, launches fund. I see. So Great. this is how I do my idea generation from the Compounder Fund website. Or maybe I will take a look at what the smart investors are offering. Mm. And uh, just basically read a lot. And, you know, our investment mastermind, sometimes people will mention something interesting. Yeah. If I'm interested, I'll take a look. If not, then I'll just uh, continue to look my current, um, the, the stocks that I currently have. Uh, yeah. About 52 of them currently. Understand. Oh, so that, that's the amount of stocks you have in your portfolio. Yeah, I prefer to keep it diversified. Okay. Um, because uh, as you can tell, uh, I'm not that technical or, you know, my memory is not even that good mm. about the, the stocks I hold. So mm. I find that, you know, I think Charlie Munger said, if uh, diversification is for people who don't know what they're doing, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I have to eat my, I have to eat, after so many years, I really eat humble pie and mm. realize that I'm not that good. Mm. you know there's a limit to my intelligence or competence so it's better to diversify so in case something blows up i i don't go broke so i'm not so smart um or so uh, convicted to only hold about eight stocks though uh i i do respect the investors that can do that mm. i really hats off to them i can't yeah. do that understand mm. understand great um before before i move on to the the next question uh mj you have any questions I just want to, I don't know if this is the next question, but uh, I, I just want to get your sense on, since you made that switch right into this more, you can say growth, growth at reasonable prices kind of uh, strategy. Gap, gap. Right? <laughs> gap, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, the finance view never fails to give us very cool acronyms. Huh? So when it comes to GAP, right, um, what has been your biggest learnings? Because obviously you've charted for us your journey from... Uh, one learning lesson which is that basically the the light side is long-term investing and the dark side is is momentum or swing trading then you also talk to us a little bit about okay now you've got growth and value and so now you're kind of leaning to the value cap right rather slowly right you still buy dbs but you know you're still going that in the other direction so having been the more growth at reasonable prices cam right what would you say are your biggest learning lessons from all your experience so far? 
I think the the biggest learning lesson I took away from investing, right, is basically a constant battle of your biases. Mm. It's uh, I think once after after a while, right, you you can do all the research you want. You can, uh, you know, invest. You can make a lot of money. You can do short term, long term. But at the root of it all, right, we are all just fighting our biases. So that's one of the biggest learnings I had. Biases in what sense? Uh? For example, the sunken cost bias may come back into play again. Mm. Like uh, if let's say I've uh, put in a lot of money into a certain stock and the situation has changed, all right? The thesis changed over time. The situation has changed. Well, you know, I have to be able to look at the fact and say, hey, you know, it was good when I bought it, but now the situation has changed. There are more competitors. You know, COVID is uh, hitting them hard. They're probably not going to recover. It's time to cut. So you've got mm. sunken cost bias. Maybe you got got uh, anchoring biases you want to... You need to get rid of like oh I bought Amazon at uh, eight hundred now it's uh, three thousand two hundred how do I buy that again? You mm. gotta overcome biases like that. Maybe you want to look for the next shiny new thing mm. right? in the investor group, and then someone talks about this other hot stock. You're like, hey, you know maybe I should invest in that. Or uh, for me, um, um, probably got to I have to curb my aggressive bets. Um, because I know by nature I'm I'm somehow someone once pointed out that I'm kind of addicted to risk. Mm. At first, I was uh, quite offended by the comment, but then when I look, observed my actions, like, yeah, maybe he maybe <laughs> he observed something that I'm not aware of. So mm. it's I find that my biggest learning is uh, trying to be aware of my thinking. And the scary thing about us as investors, right? I think a lot of times we can fool ourselves into decisions, right? That seem very smart. So like mm. we look at ourselves, oh, it's time to sell this stock because there's no way it can grow any further. So it's time yeah. to take profits now. And go. I think that thought seeps into our mind very, very frequently once we see like a couple of beggars. So yeah. I can understand like a lot of um, uh, retail investors who are not so um, experienced, uh, not so sophisticated or experienced like like me. They have the urge to want to sell like oh three bag really sell it, sell it. But you know then after that the the worst part is your brain will come up with very smart uh, scenarios on why the company cannot grow anymore. Mm. You just got to. I I find like the biggest takeaway is to notice that thought and tell myself like, is it is this thought uh, generated because of fear mm. or is it because of fact? And it can mm. be very hard to discern whether the thoughts are leading you or you controlling your thoughts. Mm. So that is uh, one thing I'm aware of. So I try to just do nothing. So if let's say I'm wrong, you know, I should have sold then too bad. But most of the time, uh, from what I experienced so far, the winners keep winning because of the momentum and all that. But again, when the time comes, uh, when uh, when the stock is doing well, I probably have to revisit all my biases again. Understand? Yeah. So I think that's the biggest learning: F- constantly fighting with your with Bias. your own mental state. Okay. Which I Great. think um, a lot of uh, beginner investors have not realized this yet. Yeah. I think yeah. Jason Zweig's book um, is a very good book. Jason the, Zweig. Uh, the the who shot the devils. Psychology of Money, I think. Oh. Um, there's another one called The Art of Thinking Clearly. I got it on my shelf. Yeah, they, they, uh, Daniel K- Kamen, is it? Daniel Kahneman is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. That is ah. also one I recommend. So yeah. um, I think like uh, as, a, as, a, as a growth of an investor, after reading all the investment books, the next type of books you may want to read would be uh, <clears throat> would be those these psychology books. Mm. Where they mm. talk about all the biases. Psychology of Money, I think, is Morgan Hauser, uh. Morgan Hauser, yeah, but there's one by Jason Dweck. 
This is Zweig wrote a lot of books. There's one I think <laughs> very funny, very funny, which I really like. It was uh, the Devil's Dictionary of Finance. It's red in color. No, okay. It, it's just all, yeah, it, it, it's so funny because it's all the uh, finance terms like GARP and all that, but they put a humor towards it. Yeah. So I just chanced. I, I didn't yes, really. It is uh, Jason's right. That Devil's uh, Dictionary. Yeah. yeah, Devil's Dictionary was very. Nice. Another one where he talked about how humans make very uh, silly decisions when it comes to money and how we delude ourselves into thinking that. This is uh, called your money and your brain. Yeah, correct. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, Jason's right. That's okay. the one. So I think that's the biggest uh, takeaway for me. Like, it's just a constant battle with your, um, with your, with your mindset and your thoughts and your biases, which are hugging you apart mm. constantly understand great mm. great so um, I'm going to move on to probably the last segment and I think it's pretty interesting and it's with regards to your angel investing and I know you, you wanted to talk a little bit about this and I'm going to give you the space to talk about it so uh, you did state in your profile that you have a portfolio of companies and what really piqued my interest okay there's a few questions a few angles I want to take this from is one is the type of companies. I noticed that there's a lot of uh, fintech as well as SaaS companies. Uh, there's also a cancer uh, immunotherapy company. But what really I really want to start off with is that is you're invested, you made this statement, I've invested alongside Jeff Bezos, Mark Benioff, Alexis Ohanian. I, I don't know whether I pronounced that correctly. Okay. Yeah, I found out already. Already, yes. And uh, Naval Ravikant, uh, a big favorite of mine. Okay, Naval Ravikant. Excel Ventures, 8VC, HubSpot, Shopify, Octa Ventures, and more. So why did you put that statement in, actually? <laughs> oh, so um, when it comes to uh, the angel investing space, right, um, they, I, I find like um, uh, they, a lot of uh, startups, right, they need to put all these uh, venture venture capitalists or angel investors, all these famous people, uh, to name drop and for social proof la, mm. For social proof la. Uh, that that is the honest truth la. It's really there for social proof. Um, I find like um to be an angel investor, right? Um, this this kind of things have to be done because when you are trying to build a network, right? Um, you want to be you want to attract uh people into a syndicate. Mm. You need to show some connections or, you know, mm. show some judgment. Understand. So if, uh, if let's say you tell people like, uh, I, I do angel investing and I invest in these companies and then um, you just keep quiet, you know, it's not going to... Uh, it's not going to jive. It's not going to draw people to your syndicate. And yeah. the cold hard truth is you need, you need more connections and you need more um, uh, acquaintances, friends. You, you've got to widen your network mm. in order to get the deal flow. Understand. Let's see yeah. if, you know, I... I actually considered whether I should put all this or not. Um, but the truth is the, the network, um, building the network, right? You really need to, you, you really need to reach out. You need to uh, yeah. reach out to people more. And not, and not you know, keeping quiet and uh, staying humble. Correct, um, correct, correct. I don't yeah. think it, uh, it, it doesn't work. Un yeah. Unless you're Naval Ravikan. Uh, then <laughs> Naval Ravikan. You can, you know, <laughs> but if, uh, if you are like a small fry, you know, just trying to... Uh, start a syndicate. <laughs> Sorry, I need some attention. Yeah, understand, understand. No, you know why? Why I was I was also for a selfish reason, and I I, I put this honestly on the table. Like, if you have Nava Rafmikan's uh, personal number, I would definitely want to network with you. <laughs> okay. so, let, uh, so let me clarify, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry to burst your bubble. Um, <laughs> if you notice on my profile, I say I I invest on uh, Angelis right now. Um, funny thing is, uh, I was about to go all Zen and let my portfolio compound until 
I went on a hiking trip with uh, one of your podcast guests, Eugene Ng. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a favorite of ours like, too. Hey, Jerry, you got to get into uh, angel investing. Wow. The things I see on angel list. Oh, insane, you know. They're the next <laughs> level of business. Yeah, I'm like, I also you know, trying to hike and be um, zen. I'm like, please, this guy pulling me back into the startup world. I just want to compound my capital and uh, lead a stress-free life. But uh, sure enough, I signed up for angel list. Ah. And uh, I do see very, very uh, interesting uh, cutting-edge businesses out there. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't review too much. I understand. Uh, because there's a... NDA. Uh, there's, a, there's an NDA and uh, they will kick me out. Yeah, um, yeah. But so some of the deals invested there, these other uh, investors like uh, Bezos Venture Fund, um, HVC, all these prominent VCs, they also invested in uh, some of the deals uh, that I'm invested in. So the, the cool thing about um, AngelList is that, you know, we, we used to think like uh, to be an angel investor, uh, we need to throw in like huge chunks yeah. of money. The buy-in the buy is big, right? <laughs> 50K, 25K, 100 grand. Yeah. But again, right, the, the awesome thing about platforms like Angel is, right, it democratizes mm. um, the investment. So you can get deals that are at a lower, lower buy-in. What some was the deals, minimum buy-in that you see so far? Some, yeah, the minimum one I've seen is like 1,000. Mm. So you can still buy in and uh, take part in the in the investor's journey. I understand. Yeah. I understand. But now that I review that, I, I think I look very uncool. <laughs> you know <laughs> no, what I mean? Don't, 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 don't worry. Yeah, but, we, um, please please but, don't feel obliged not to uh please don't feel obliged to divorce if you can't. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the yeah, but that's the good thing about uh, platforms like uh, Angelist. But again, you do have to be accredited. You got to um, do make some declaration before you can join. Ah, so it mu- you still must be an accredited investor before you can be on the Angelist. I see. Yeah, correct too. So uh, because I think it's a US law to protect um, uh, protect. They, 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 for some reason, they think that if you are rich, you know how to uh, manage your money better. <laughs> so that's yeah. the that's the misconception that I think a yeah. lot of these uh, investment laws have. Uh, yeah. So before yeah, so I that's, next, uh, that's about Angelis. Okay, so like um, um, what what uh, we are trying to do um, we are trying to get started um doing some angel investing in the Southeast Asian region. Mm. So uh, right now I'm currently trying to uh, build a syndicate. Um, nothing like nothing fixed yet. We are just just a bunch of friends who 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 like investing. Um, so we got some investors in the group. Um, some entrepreneurs who have sold their business for the eight figures. Mm. Yeah. Wow. More, more than 10 mil. We've got entrepreneurs who sold their businesses uh, in the group. Uh, still a very small group of us. We're trying to get, get it growing. So if any of your uh, listeners, your subscribers are interested in, uh, you know, diving into angel investing, perhaps uh, we can just uh, meet up sure. and uh, get to know one another. Sure. So we just, yeah. we're just building a network. Nothing how, concrete yet. How, how do people reach you? I know it's, it's supposed to be at the last part of the episode. Uh, which, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so we, we'll give you a place where you can give a shout out. Um, uh, yeah, they can uh, email me at uh, jerrylee at writingsamurai.com. jerrylee at writingsamurai.com. Yeah, okay. so if, like let's say you're a startup that's starting out, you may need funds, you know, or if you are an angel investor looking for other fellow angel investors, uh, you can reach out to us and uh, you'll just try to make friends and... See, see what happens. Understand. I think it's still very early. Okay, great, great. Um, probably this is the last question unless MJ has any more questions. It's about from your angel investing journey 
and your public equities uh, investing journey, uh, uh, what are the similarities as well as differences you see and the skill sets that you need to invest in between the world? Are they, are they starkly contrasting or do you see much more similarities in the, the way you evaluate uh, angel company versus a public listed company? Okay, so uh, I don't think I can give a very wise answer on this. Mm. Um, firstly, because I only just started with uh, angel investing. It's only mm. like maybe three months. Mm, okay. Only three months. Um, so far, right? The simil- um, So far, if you look at the stuff I'm invested in, it is still quite similar to uh, public stocks, uh, mm. like a uh, fintech. Um, like a fin- I think I invested in a cheaper cash in Africa. Yeah. Razorpay in India. So these are not like uh, outrageous ideas. Mm. Um, the only outrageous idea I've uh, invested in is this company called Deep Sentinel. Mm. Um, they are making security cameras. Okay. Um, that are that are trained with uh, AI machine vision, so they mm. can sense an intruder coming to, uh, trying to break into your house. Okay. And a human security guard will actually tell the perpetrator, the intruder, to go away, and they will call the police immediately. I see. So it's like a machine learning, um, with a human in the loop. I understand. So that was one of the more um outrageous ideas out there. Okay. Now the difference. Uh, but so far, what I see, right, the difference in angel investing, right, um, I may be wrong um, because it's just, we only know whether I'm successful or not maybe five to ten years later. Mm-mm. So just starting out, I, I see like you must be willing to bet on very, very wildly crazy ideas. Mm. So it may be more speculative in nature. So if like, there are any uh, more professional seasoned invest, angel investors uh, that say I'm wrong, hey, feel free to uh, let me know in the comments. Mm. Uh, based on what I see so far, your mind must be so vast uh, where, where you can see possibilities or businesses that can be built when no one has ever pictured it. So the more crazy the idea, you know, you probably got to look at it. Whereas uh, as, as we are, when we are doing public uh, investing, yeah, we need to look at the financials, uh, you know, we look at competitors, we look at valuation, we got so many data points. Mm. I mean, it's just one crazy idea. <laughs> oh, it's so difficult. Understand. So difficult. It feels very speculative. So that's, I think, the uh, differences uh, currently. But there are some similarities though. Understand. There are some similarities though. Like yeah. um, you would notice like things like a marketplace, uh, businesses can scale very well. Uh, mm. Public investing, you can see, oh, these sort of businesses can scale cap- as, as a capital line. You know, so when you see such a same the same kind of uh, patterns appearing for angel investing, you can draw a connection. I see. Yeah, but I again, see. I think you probably need to interview me ten years later to see how <laughs> I do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> to show your portfolio. Because <laughs> the truth is, uh, the feedback mechanism is just so long. I, yeah. I'm not going to act like I'm super successful yeah. as an angel investor. I could probably lose my money on everything. Understand. Uh, hopefully not. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, maybe you can be as good as Chris Saka, you know, five, ten years from now. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't put myself up there. Yeah. So currently, I'll put it, uh, my angel investments, maybe about three to four percent of my portfolio. Mm. Um, the reason being so that if uh, they blow up, um, the compounding in my public stocks will just uh, easily cover it. Yeah. You know, if let's say my, pub, uh, my, my public portfolio co- compounds at eight percent, then, you know, five covers the 3% easily. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, so I'm still very uh, uh, wary of the risk in ninja investing. It's not going to be easy. Understand, understand. Yeah. MJ, over to you. Any questions? Uh, I, I only have one last one, which has to do with, because I know 
because of the lack of information, right, in VC, oh, sorry, in Angel, um, the management is very important, the guy running the show. In fact, it is probably the most important, right? Because, you know, we run, uh, and I don't know if this is your experience as well, running a business, John and I, we run a business as well. At the beginning, like both of us are really important. Yeah. And now we've only been in business for about a year, then we realize our responsibilities kind of reducing a little bit, like 5%, right? Because we have like partners or other people working with us and things yeah. like that. And I assume that that trend should continue over time. And so that's why when you reach, let's say, uh, the public markets, right? It's almost like you are buying into the system rather than the management anymore. Mm. That's why you have the quote by Peter Lynch, right? Better to find a company that an idiot can run because eventually one will. So, but in the case of Angel, it's very difficult for that because there's no system, right? There's mm. no proven product. At best, maybe there's an MVP, right? If there's MVP, it's really a really good business. Yeah. So... What has been your experience, even though it's just three months with like analyzing management, because the weightage to look at the person behind the system or the system that's about to be built is extremely crucial. Yeah, so I'm uh, taking it very, uh, I'm trying to be very safe. So I only look at founders who are, who have experience um, exiting with exits before. Ah, so like uh, that's your margin of safety in a way. Yeah, correct. Again, past results doesn't determine the future. Mm. But um, I would probably feel better if I seen that the founder has exited uh, a company, you know, for 600 mil, 500 mil, or at least started something and exited before. Understand. So that is uh, one of the points I look look at. So if it's a totally fresh founder, I probably wouldn't dare to put too much money uh, behind him. Or maybe I would just skip the deal. So nice. I think so far, most of the angel investments I made are like second, third time, or maybe fourth time founders. Understand. Yeah, so okay. I think maybe the odds of winning are better. Understand, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I think uh, I, I I really enjoyed this conversation. I don't know about you, MJ, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm very- uh, I mean, it's, it's very good. I think, uh, you know, we, we've got on a lot of high, you know, kind of high finance minds. And what I like about this conversation is that you're able to explain basically the important basics, um, but at a very easy to understand level. I think that's probably a testament to your background in copywriting and creative writing and all that as well. So I can see that synergy. I don't know if someone has told you that before, but that's the, definitely what I see. And I think that that's, that, that what, that's what has made this conversation really good. You know. Sorry yeah. if I can't go super in-depth into no, a stock. No, Actually, no. Actually, very surface level understanding no no that, that's exactly what we want yeah. to like what mj said you know we brought people with high finance you know people who were ex-fund managers managed yeah. 100 millions hundreds of millions or even billions and then here we want to in from your story and i think it's a very humbling story and i really love it is that hey guys uh we can do the in in in, Mal- in malaysia we said do it the kampong style <laughs> you know or the village style and yet you know if you if you put in a little bit of work and you may not need to know high finance, but you can still compound your money at the rate at what you have done, you know, and then you, yeah. it's a testament to that. I think that but that's where, yeah. Superpowers of delayed gratification. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well said. Yeah, 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 don't, yeah. Don't, don't spend your money on uh, frivolous stuff. That's and, it. You gotta... and, and make sure when you find your girlfriend or your wife, you know, someone that can, you know. Uh, Definitely. Uh, with the same yeah. values. Yeah, uh, same values. Willing willing to take in that delayed gratification, willing to be patient with, you know, your quirks, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, she'll be, might, might be asking along the way, oh my God, is my husband or my future husband going to succeed or are we going to end up in a bankrupt oh, yeah. married life? 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure that was on her mind yeah. every now and then at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think my uh, my final advice would be uh, work hard, learn as much as you can, and uh, just be very, very frugal and uh, uh, seek help from, uh, seek help, build a network and learn from people smarter than you are. Um, if you do this enough, sooner or later, you're going to get lucky. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't get lucky, you'll still compound it uh, nice and easy. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. Jerry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, we, we see whether, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to go down the, you know, once all this COVID is over, yeah. to meet you, to meet Serging, to meet Eugene, to meet, you know, all the, the great guys down, down in Singapore. Yeah. So uh, stay safe and uh, hope to see you again in maybe part two, you know. <laughs> Ten years later. <laughs> this is recorded, by the way, so you can't take it back anymore. Ten years later. Ten years later. All right, have a good evening, okay. Jerry, and uh, see you again. Hey, right. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you. Okay.